have? I got a story for you. It's the fault of your wife, children, and family in Florida and Ohio that causes hesitation. Their unconditional love and support of you that gives pause to your current purpose. Where would you be without them? Most likely dead. Listeners, you are not alone. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because if the Netflix docudrama is anywhere near correct, we're all in the matrix and fucked. But when you go to AndrePsyche.com, what are you going to find? Because you're going to make that choice without influence of artificial intelligence. You're going to find literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, another podcast, or any custom gift that your soul desires. How, you're wondering? Because Andre Psyche is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Please do us a favor. We need and appreciate your support. support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you used to get my voice in your ears. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the Getting to Know You pod, it is much appreciated. How else can you support the Getting to Know You pod? Thanks for thinking of that. You can go to our Patreon and search getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod, it's all one word, and become a subscriber. You can also friend and follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, getting to know you pod, again, all one word. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world, The podcast is downloaded in over 45 countries and most or majority of the states in America. So if you're looking, or someone you know, to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your products, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know. Don't call me Mulaney. It's Melanie. <laughs> Melanie, thank you so much for dealing with my phonetic issues. Maybe it's over phonetic sizing and uh, coming on the podcast, man. I so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Dude, I'm, I appreciate it. No, and it's it's funny because, um, man, what episode was it? Hit me with your dad joke. I fire away. 58 or 59. Okay. where I don't even remember how it worked out, but I got a wicked long message from you about right. here's my story. And we were talking before I started recording about 
It was overwhelming for me to read. And it was a lot. And it was like, dude, I'd love to have you on. But I felt like that message, and I, you know, it's funny, I haven't looked back. I felt like the message was almost like a month and a half, two months ago. And now we're finally getting to it. Yes, yes. It was, if it was overwhelming for you to read, imagine how it's overwhelming for me to live. Dude, right? Dude, I, it, like, I don't, I don't like to try to bait people at all, but I, totally felt that like you could see the not only the passion but even the way you were wording things in the message you were very artistic with your wording it was almost like a poem no seriously like so for people listening i normally don't recall record with video and audio we're going to give it a shot with video so it's going to be interesting for me to interact with your facial expressions right <laughs> so okay. i say poetic and you kind of smirk but to me, you had this like rhetorical question aspect of what you've been through, um, right. which I, I I liked. I was like, wow, this, is, this isn't just a, man, I've been through one thing, like I had a shitty day kind of a thing. It was like, nah, man, there's been a lot of events that have kind of worn on me. Yes, yes. That will do that with the long law enforcement career. Yeah, and- Let's start there. And fuck, I'm so worried now I'm going to fuck up your name, Melanie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just call me. How about call me Mel? Mel. Oh, God. Let me write that down, Mel. That'll help me out so much because it, it, whatever. I'm a school teacher and I want to say I had a student that I called Melanie and she was like, no, it's Melanie. And oh. <laughs> since then, I think that's what got me, dude. I'm looking at your name and I'm like, going back to the anxiety I caused this, whatever, 12 year old kid. And you're like, always trying to avoid that because it's so insulting for someone to completely mess up your name. So thank you, Mel. I appreciate that. Um, For context, just give a little background about what you've done, what you've experienced as far as, I guess, a career. Uh, I started out, I'm from Ohio. I moved out here. Um, Back in 90, 91, 92, or 91, 92, I think. Um, and I always wanted to be a police officer, so I got hired and um, felt like I had a really good uh, beginning of my career. I loved it. I spent some time in working in the jail for a few years. Oh my gosh, dude. Like as a corrections officer. Well, we were deputies. It was just part of uh, your hiring. You hit me with your dad jokes. Why don't you hit me with your dad jokes? Hit me with your dad jokes. Fire away. No, it was just just the way my department does it. Gotcha. I believe that that's changed now. I believe they're just, um, correction now and, right. and patrol. But, um, but 20 years ago, 20 some years ago, that's just the way it was. You stayed in the jail until there was an opening in patrol. Gotcha. Yeah, I think. But, and again, it's a little bit of my ignorance. Cause I know n- not what's less than nothing. what would less than nothing be but i know less than nothing about how going about this sort of career works 
and the opportunities that are presented and how you try to quote unquote climb the ladder. And when you say that kind of thing, it, it makes it sound like you're in it for the money. You, you don't get into public service for the money. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a teacher. You're a law enforcement officer, right? Like we're not looking to get rich and own beach homes and beachfront property and all that. But yeah. um, I am super interested in all the people I meet, their careers, the different pathways for success. So all that to say, my experience with talking to people, they are two separate departments. You either apply to be a corrections officer, which does not have the prestige as being a state police officer, which is what Delaware is all about, state police officers, state troopers, right, right. I should say. Right. You have troopers. Ohio has troopers. Okay. Um, yeah, I understand that. Um, and it's not. It doesn't. It's not the same job, but I will tell you, uh, the three years that I spent in the jail working with um, the inmates, it teaches you their idea of respect. Because mm. I ultimately saw the same people um, out on patrol. Right. So they remember you. They remember you one or two ways they remember you that you treated them like a human or they remember you you treated them like an inmate mm. uh, and that's a fine line obviously because you know people will take advantage of your kindness i've and i've spoken to a couple of people who have gone through the system and the dehumanizing feel that they experience. And I, I wish I was better with words to call it something other than dehumanizing, but that's something that I've heard um, told to me is when you get in car, when you go to jail, when you're incarcerated, you spend any amount of time where someone tells you, wake up, go here, be here, bend, open. Right. Like it is, you, you feel, and maybe it's just the bars and growing up with zoos, you feel like an animal. You don't feel like I'm a person with choice, with respect. But at the same time, you're from speaking to the cops I've spoken to, it is a fine line because you're dealing with a, some, a lot of the time with people who are looking to manipulate and get over, take right. advantage of a situation and you want to be a good person and you want to give them the, I believe in you kind of a thing. Right. But at the same time, it's so easy to get that manipulated, like, and you're taking advantage second. of, right? In a second. God, uh, and a they know, they know the weak ones. They know, they know from the moment they meet you. Um, and with that being said, they, they are also humans. Right. Um, who, um, a lot of times have grown up in a shitty environment. Oh yeah. Um, That's part of the reason. Yeah. On occasion have just made a horrible mistake. One bad night, one bad situation, one bad, yep. I answered the phone, one bad, one I decided drink. to jump in the car, yep. whatever. Right. Right. So, um, so it's a fine line and I, although very strong, also, very strong uh, personality still found that some had that line of respect. Um, so I, I, I took you at your word until you proved me wrong. 
I feel like, and, and it's really crappy to compare the two, and I don't mean to call students or even my own child a prisoner, but I feel like that's my mentality. So right. I'm, a, I'm a teacher, I'm a dad, and I'm right. like, dude, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt until you show me that you're not walking what you talk. And then all of a sudden, like now we have an issue because you violated the initial trust that our positions bring us to have to have within each other. Right. And it's a weird mutual, mutual respect of, we got to trust each other in some way, man. Like we're both, it's not exactly symbiotic. I, I don't know how to describe it and you probably can better, but there is a codependency of can we just not fuck each other over? <laughs> right. Don't shank me. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like, it is, it's a fine line. It's, it's, you know, you never know. You never know what is going to make somebody turn on you. Yeah. It could be, they didn't sleep, you know, the in and out of the, it's the sounds of the, inside and you know you're doing time right along with them we work 12-hour shifts and you're doing time right along with them so um you know that's man um and and i want to talk about it a little more because i have not spoken to a corrections officer not to limit you or make you i i always feel like i'm disrespectful with people who are not labels god but I, I don't want to call you something you are not in a disrespectful way, if that makes well, sense. Well, and I only spent three years working in the jail. I went to patrol and worked the, right. most of my career in on patrol. So as a corrections officer, when you were there, I have not spoken to one of those yet. And for me as a layman, super interesting to think about it in the way of I'm doing time along with you. Because – a lot of people, my mother was a nurse and she did 12 hour shifts, you know, three right. days on, three days off, four days on, four days off. Right. You get your that 80 hours kind of a thing. Overtime's always there. If you want to yep. stay on, you could, and you don't realize what a hundred hour work week does to a person, especially if you're on a swing shift, Lord help right. you. If you're on seven P to seven a versus seven, a to seven P kind of a thing. Right. So I kind of feel like I understand what it does to you. However, I don't know. My mother went about that in a hospital environment. It was not a incarcerated environment. So that's why I'm super interested when you say doing time with you. It's like, I don't know if people consider that. The people who are guarding these prisoners are, I, I don't know, like it's almost a burden on them as well. That, that's almost how I took it. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't mean to, again, be insulting. No, that's the same. I mean, you have the same smells. You have the same sounds. You know, you have um, you have the same everything. You're eating the same food. Oh, my um, God. You know, they're, they're preparing it for you. And so, um, so the hopes is that you... And the the only difference is at the end of your 12 or 16 hour shift, you get to go home for a few hours and then you come right back. So, um, but that, that taught me so much, uh, I believe then that I could take out on to patrol. 
when I finally did go. Man, I, how, how bad did you want to get out of that environment? And if oh, that's a so shitty bad. way to ask it, but it, it just can't be, I, I think of myself in that job and I'm like, it can't be fulfilling. No, it's no. Well, no, <laughs> I, I can't even make something up right there. I, I can't even, it's, it's not very rewarding, especially when you have somebody that's so excited to get out. Hey, they've done their time. You know, they've calculated all their good time, work time, all that stuff. And they get out and they tell you, I'm never going to see you again, Deputy McGuska. I'm never going to see you again. And then two days later, they're in the booking, you know, so. That quick. Uh, what? I mean, sometimes. Yeah, right? No. <laughs> Yeah. God. Because it's most of the time, some of the times it's all they know. Right. Yeah, that's, I've actually, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you probably do not know this, but I went on a little bit of a run. Again, I'm from Delaware, um, interviewing people running for office in Delaware governors, lieutenant governors, senators, house of representatives, people looking to represent Delaware in many facets. Something that was a common theme between most of the people I interviewed was how terrible jails are at rehabilitation. How when people get out, they get out and they get put in the same environment with less skills behind even because You've lost whatever job opportunities. You've lost whatever enhancement of skills for employment. And now you go somewhere and it's like, what else do they do but fall back into the cycle? And it's almost like they're set up to fail in that essence because that time is taken from them. And it's like, what do you expect, man? What other skills do they have other than criminal skills? It's it's almost on the same level as the what we do to our soldiers we mm. we train our soldiers to be perfect assassins but then we bring them back and we don't teach them skills to uh, to be normal citizens or yeah, right. or deal with mental health issues yeah uh, you know it, it's it's there <laughs> you know the the mental health thing from what i've heard is a huge thing. And who knows if I have mental health issues, I may, maybe I'm a functional <laughs> depressant or schizophrenic or whatever. I feel like I'm pretty decent and optimistic, but the mental health aspect of why you commit a crime, why you would then have your freedom and liberties taken from you. And then why you wouldn't understand stop. Why are you touching that hot stove three times in a row? Right? Like that kind of thing really is explained with like a mental health issue, which from what I understand, prisons and counselors and the mental health aspect and transitional programs, completely overwhelmed, completely underfunded, completely right. ineffective. And you're like, should we maybe find a way to boost it? Because <laughs> that's kind of the route. You need some coping skills. You need some alternatives so that you don't make the same dumbass choice that got you here. Right. Right. And that, I mean, boy, that's, that's a whole nother podcast, you know, as far as what we're going to do with the, with how we're going to fix that, because that's broken everywhere. I mean, you know, hence why I'm here, 
you know, if, if mental health was, was a, uh, a priority mm. for departments, then, um, then we wouldn't have officers like me who had to retire because of post-traumatic stress. And man, that's, and again, that goes back to what, um, Christy was saying with her podcast, the, um, fuck man, I should have brought it up. So Christy Mal- Warren. Yeah. Mal- Malaney. A firefighter deconstructed. Thank you. Cause all, all I do, Malaney is fuck up names and <laughs> screw up syllables and I'm terrible with it, but I feel like my brain is on overload as a teacher, having to learn 120 names a year for almost 18 years at this point. I just, it's hard if I don't see it written down, but yeah, firefighter, firefighter, deconstructed. She has a slogan and I'll mess this up too, but it was like the person behind the uniform, right? something like that. And I like, it stuck with me just the sentiment of, it's so easy to forget behind the badge, behind the mask, behind the whatever, the, the Batman belt that it's the just, Superman is. It, it's a person. It's a person yeah. every day dealing with the stress of I'm going to wake up early and kind of put my life on the line here. And day after day, it can, to me, it would seem ridiculously stressful to not have a real mental health component for that job as a valve to just get the pressure out. Right. And I, and I think it's changing. It's not changing fast enough because, you know, we're still killing ourselves. Um, and, but, um, I, I I think that it's the times now, I think, you know, when I went through the Academy, it was, well, first of all, I was a woman. So, um, and back in know, the nineties, I was, dude, I was going to ask, like when you said, by the way, you look incredibly young to have gotten there in the nineties, but thanks. when you said I started 91 and you went to Los Angeles, am I? No, I started, I, I came here in 91. I, I worked for LA parks when I first came here. Then I went and worked for uh, the city of Chico as a park ranger. And then I finally got hired on as a full-time deputy um, in 95, <laughs> something like that. I, you know, my, well, you'll have to forgive me. My brain no, is. No, and I, I wasn't laughing because of that. Yeah. I have this odd habit. I've noticed the more pods I record just to put you at ease. I do things like I'll say, you know, it's funny. And you'll tell me something incredibly traumatic. And then I'll catch myself and be like, you, you like jackass that wasn't funny at all it's just your way of like treading water to get your thoughts do right, you know what right. i'm saying so now i'm finding i start to giggle to gather my thoughts instead of saying oh funny so <laughs> i i didn't mean it like that but what my mind went to was early 90s race riots racial tension and mm-hmm. so and and if people maybe they'll see your picture i would hope they would you're white but on top of it, as a female, that's... A gay, a gay female. Oh, man. So th- think about everything that that could bring along if you're dealing with individuals in a context of what happened with... And I don't remember the specific year of Rodney King, but I thought it was 91 or 92. 
So I was working, I was in LA at the time when that took place. And um, I watched all of that unfold. Um, And I was, you know, I was young and, and still wanted to do this job. And, you know, I I don't know if that, um, that lit my fire for the lack of better terms, um, even more, (laughs) but um I watched all of that. I mean, I was down I lived in Long Beach at the time. I had so, no geographical reference. Literally okay. all like again, LA, no, Compton, no. Gardena. Right. So feel free to explain as much as you want. Don't feel like you're mansplaining to me in any way. Right. Because me, I, I was born 81, so I'm 10 or 11, 12-ish at the time. Thank you for making me feel really young at the point. Cause I've been interviewing a lot of people where I'm like, I'm calling them kids. And then I'm like, I can't call you a kid. You're fucking 26. You're going to have to call me grandma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'm saying that to, to point out my ignorance to the context of the situation. So I right. love understanding context. And it's one of those things where you see clips on the news but you really don't understand at that age. You're not aware. You don't understand the underlying issues and even how, like what it means to burn down buildings after buildings or riots of that nature. And we're seeing it now again. While it's I'm, on the news. Yeah. Right. Like n- now that I'm almost 40, I'm like, Oh my God, has this really been happening yes. for 30 years? Like no wonder people are fucking frustrated. They're like, yeah, dude, we've been talking about this shit for like, was that video in 91? Not enough. You know, like right, right, that's where right. my and that, mind well, goes. That was just the one that got captured. I mean, exactly. you know, that was cell phones, right? Just think about before we had cell phones. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, things are, things are scary. Things are very scary for us. Um, for everybody, law enforcement, you know, we're, we're being killed, uh, just for wearing the uniform. So. And I, I definitely want to talk about that because I'm a firm supporter of the more I talk to people in positions of authority. And the more I talk to people who are not in positions of authority over masses, I get to make it very simple. I teach a class. I got to keep 30 kids focused on topic, on task, in a time. You wonder a lot of these like defund the police. You're like, well, okay, like take away all the cops. You're going to take away firefighters too. And then what's going to happen when things go bad? And it's like, have you ever tried to deal with an unruly crowd? Do you not understand the need for authority in society? But before that, I'm really curious, young gay female, 90s learning your career can you talk to me a little bit and i'll try not to interrupt because i am an interjector but i i can't wrap my mind around what that would be like in a predominantly heterosexual male authoritarian environment that's where my mind goes is you almost have to immediately prove yourself on three to four different levels on everything and looking back, um, you had to be bigger, stronger, faster, right? Um, 
at least you had to have the ability to um, show that in some way, whether you were or not. Right. Um, and my early career was, was good. You know, when I came out on patrol, I went through FTO. FTO was a little different. Um, I had some, you know, old school guys, but, um, but I passed and, um, Can I ask what's FTO? Field training? Field office? training, field training office. You okay. know, when, yeah. You have to complete, um, I can't remember what it was back then, how, how many months it was. Once you get out of the academy, six-month academy, then you go into FTO and you learn, you know, basically. Because, unfortunately, the academy can teach you uh, – it can teach you things, but it's not – it's different than being on the scene, right? So so you're, you're taught by – uh, seasoned officers, I guess. Yeah. And it's funny you say, I guess, um, and again, that's me being a terrible talker when you, when I say funny, but that, that seems to be the crux of change the system and not to pivot ahead, get too philosophical, but it's what system needs to be changed. You're thinking, well, you would want your officers trained by people who understand more so how to de-escalate more so than jump at authority. I'm in control. And that seems to be the gut reaction of a lot of these. Now, when I, when I went through FTO, I was trained by some really dinosaurs. And it was more about like de-escalating and well, I don't know if de-escalating down. was the was the um, I don't remember if that was like I, the I bingo word or term or whatever. Do do as do as little as um, as you can, you know. I, they were they were close to retirement, and so I'm not sure that I got the the best training out of the box possible Hmm. but um and i'm not sure i've ever said that out loud but um uh but i did i I may do right because you you take little bits and pieces you have three or four ftos so you take you're you're with somebody for this amount of time and you do exactly what they say the way they do it the way they want it and then you take little bits of pieces of what you think will work for you. And then you go to your next FTO and then they oh, erase everything, you know, from this FTO and you do it the way they want it, the, what, all of that. Right. And you do that for four FTOs. And I just want to clarify. So I understand what you went through. That's legitimately like you're in a car, you're patrolling blocks, you're almost riding shotgun next to someone or if you're driving there in shotgun yes. but you're you're out in a unif as a uniformed officer but you are subservient in the role of learn how i deal with all these situations and you do that for three you do that with you did that with three to four different individuals right oh right. my gosh and and they, and they and it a good fto i mean 
I can remember working midnights and going down and, and knowing where you are is huge, right? You have to know where you are. But when you're new and you're trying to, you, we worked with, um, oh my goodness, I, I had the name of the maps that we used back in the day, but we, we did everything with maps. We didn't have computers or, right. or GPS, right? It was, you have a call, look it up and go. Yeah. Um, but I remember my FTO, we were driving down um, some dark road and all of a sudden he, he screams bang and and he wants to know exactly where you are. What was the last cross street? What was the uh, mile marker? What was this? You know, and so um because you have to be aware of everything around you. It, you know, you have to be. Yeah. Because you never uh, know how you're going to have to communicate in order to get assistance correct. at that moment because it's not like they can ping a cell phone and know no. your GPS tracker at that time. Right, right. Before all that. Yeah, no, dude, no doubt. Oh my yeah. gosh. So I had, I mean, I my FTOs did what they needed to do and they, they trained how they trained and, um, and, you know, and then, but your first day in your patrol car by yourself is the most rewarding and scary experience all in the same thing. Before you get to that, I'm a little curious if you have any thoughts on, and I'm, I guess before I get to your thoughts, that's two befores for those keeping track at home. Um, is there any incentive for someone to become a field training officer or yes. are they like, is that one of those things where their boss says, dude, you got six months you're going to suck it up and do this and we're going to shove you with a newbie or is it like a bonus, no, some sort it's of extra pay. You, you get extra pay. It's like 5% or something at the time. It might've been two and a half percent. I don't know, but it's pay. Got you. So they have yeah. an, in, there, there's a paid incentive to want to escalate or I guess elevate to that position in order to be a mentor. Correct. I got you. Okay. Cause I did not know that. But then what I'm thinking too is when you had said that they were close to retirement, I'm assuming they're hoping for that extra pay because it probably benefits them somewhere on their retirement pay scale, where if they become this FTO and grab two and a half to four percent, five percent, that's right. gonna help them on their pension aspect. Right, it does. Yeah. And then now, I mean, it's different. You know, you're having officers that have been on the street for three years or so, they become FTOs, five years, oh, wow. you know, they become FTOs. Uh, so it's completely different now gotcha. um, than it was then. Gotcha. Why do you get passed on to three or four different FTOs? Is that common? Because they're different blocks. Like, like one will teach you report writing. One will teach you. And, and you're taking now, mind you, you're, you're taking all the calls in every single beat. You're right. not, you're, you're assigned to a specific beat, but when something comes out, your FTO grabs a mic and says, we'll take that. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're taking everything for everybody because they want to give you the maximum amount of exposure to the most amount of things while they have you in the car. Gotcha. That's not bad. Yeah, dude, that makes total, you, you would actually hope for that, right? Like right. you've, and right. it, it, in those kind of service positions, you, it, again, every day, you never know what you're going to walk into. And it's, it's right. very similar, although very dissimilar to teaching. You don't right. know what every kid is coming into that classroom with. You, right, right. you as an officer don't know what every person has 
in your approach, whether it be a car, whether it be a building, a home, whatever. But it's almost an infinite amount of variables that you're trying to train people with for in a very short amount of time. Very short amount of so time. So that's a, to me, that makes a lot of sense where you're like, dude, I want to spread you around to give you as much exposure for when you're on your own in that patrol car and you're making the decisions, yes. you at least have some sort of experience to then pull back on to make the proper call. Correct. Correct. Yeah, man. God. I, I, at I, least you hope you have the right, the, the, you've had some sort of experience that way you can control the situation until you know, your backup arrives and then you can ask all the questions or, you know, you hope that you have that ability. And again, that's something, and I'm, I I don't say it to excuse terrible behavior from the officers that have done horrible things. But what I think some people can forget is, and maybe I'm wrong. I have always thought of in the police people, that I've interacted, I don't want to say men, the police people, police officers that I've interacted with, control of the situation seems paramount. Like we need to make sure ah, we know and then we'll figure out, which seems to lead to some of the issue with butting heads and the conflict because people, sometimes their emotions are escalated. They don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be told what to do, but your training is all about control the situation. What is your environment? Get control. And it's this weird conflict of, I understand you're under emotional duress. I, as an officer, need to make sure I know my environment is safe. Then I'll figure out. Right. Right. And and it's fluid, right? It's it's ever, you know. Dude, variables drop in that bitch at a fucking, any time. Yeah, it's uh, it's ask, make, tell, right? Uh, okay. I ask you politely. I make you. I mean, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I, ask, maybe, tell, make instead of ask, make, tell. Yeah. See, I see my well, see no. my brain is. You know, I ask you to do something. I'm going to tell you again to do something and yeah. then I'm going to make you do it. 100%. Right? So, um, and that's where I think we, what's happening. Um, it, it goes back. I, when I grew up, I had a healthy fear of my parents. Oh, yeah. I had, I had, utmost respect for the teachers, the principals. I had more fear if I got in trouble at school that, you know, going home. Right. Right. Um, and then you had respect for officers, for firefighters. You, for, I I guess I say for anybody older than you. Yeah. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right. One of those things, Mr. Mrs. Even if they told you to call them by their first name, I was raised the same way where it's like, I I can't call you Roxanne. I have to say Miss Howard. I I just feel weird being chummy at some point. Like, right. Yeah. And somewhere I think somewhere, uh, that got lost, you know, I, I, you know, getting spanked is different than being beaten. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and somewhere that got lost in society with 
you know, helicopter parents and not holding your your kids accountable for for decisions that they have made for bailing them out of situations um and not uh allowing them to feel the repercussions of maybe a bad decision right um and i think that then makes for a different kind of society because then you don't think when you uh when you're asked to do something that you're like you can't make me yeah do you not know like i have rights and you're like well no the whole reason we're here right now is because again i'd 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 never mean to minimalize things but it's like no no no. the whole reason we're here is because you violated i suspect you have violated a law this shit needs to be figured out so right I'm the person who made that judgment call. You're just going to have to fucking deal with me in the way I want you to deal with me. Right. But then people take it too far and we've seen countless examples where it's horrific and you're like, why does it escalate? Right. Right. And, and that, that's the fine line that I think you've been and people won't be able to see your face, but if they could, they would be able to see your facial. What's countenance is I feel like that's a really proper word. Like your facial expressions are, you can tell you're even as a retired officer still trying to tread that line of how do you explain comply, but I'm not trying to fucking kill you. I'm not out here to, to, to just be this. I don't want to say the word I was about to say, but I I worked midnights for 14 years. So I didn't know who was in the car that I was stopping. Right. Right. So, so it was, I, I, I just did my job at, you know, as far as stopping a car. Um, and I would give you respect. You know, I, I, I would tell myself, before I even got out of the car, whether this car was getting a ticket or a warning, right? You, you don't, you either get a lecture or a ticket. You don't get both. (laughs) Um, And, but you, but you, you as the person can ultimately very well talk yourself into a ticket, Mm. right? So, um, but I made that decision before I even got out of the car. How so? From the level of, um, of violation oh. right there's certain things that always got a ticket you threw a cigarette out of the car you don't have children in the car seat um you know okay. th- those kind of things you're driving drunk <laughs> you're going to jail right yeah um all the little petty um cigarette out the window <laughs> yeah oh my gosh and i wish people could see the eye roll in the hand thing what, like you were told to enforce that kind of thing? No, that was my role. Really? I mean, you know, in California, we're burning up. Oh my God. I'm so right? sorry. And again, that goes to my ge- geolog- geographical ignorance. I don't even think that way, but that's so true, man. You flick a cigarette out on a highway, you start a forest fire, right? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry that I even you know? asked you about that then. That makes total yeah. sense. I apologize. Delaware, no, we don't worry okay. about that. Delaware, every stoplight, you're seeing just fucking everyone. People are rolling down windows to throw out cigarette butts. Yeah, Nobody see, cares. that's annoying to me. It's Dude, like, it's terrible. Uh, did it's you terrible. not get the, the, you know, did you not get a cigarette? 
ashtray in no your doubt. car or do you use it for change? No doubt. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. So that that's that's a big one for me uh, yeah. because, again, it just takes one, one yeah. stupid, you know. Um, and thankfully, we don't have too many people that still smoke, I don't think, in California. But um, – <laughs> Cost too much money. But that was from easy. What I hear. That was an easy one to spot because you know you're behind them and you you yeah. see the spark, right? So um, that's but, interesting. The yeah. whole ticket warning. You're kind of approaching the vehicle based on the behavior with this mindset of, you know what, man? Whatever. They're they flick the cigarette. Sorry, man. I, I can't do anything. It's a public safety hazard. You're gonna get a ticket. Learn. So fucking keep fire inside of your car. I'm not trying to have 50 right. homes burned down. Right. <laughs> Suck it up, man. Right. right. Take your change out. Put it out in your car. No. You know, doubt. get a soda can. I don't know. What were but some of that the, was a big one for me? What were some of the like what you would see that you would in your head start thinking, all right, man, I'm just they just might need to talk more so than an actual financial ticket. You know. Maybe you don't have your sticker on your your registration sticker. I don't know. It just it depended. It really depends on the um, the environment. What's the tra What's the traffic like? What's is it during school hours? You know, it really all depends on where I was in. You know. I think that's another thing that I don't know if people understand or I shouldn't assume what people understand or not but for me environment and again going to your point of control it's you're very vulnerable you feel very vulnerable in most environments you feel outnumbered you feel right. at a disadvantage and maybe it's a little bit of my military background so I was in the National Guard I went to um, I didn't go to officer training school I went to fuck, they changed when you were trying to get your E5. It wasn't Sergeant. It was like Warrior Achievement Academy or some bullshit that they were like using to recruit people. And you're like, wait, so now I get to be in charge of a squad and platoon? Like Warrior right. Training School might have been. But the environment is an aspect that people need to consider when judging the choices of officers, The judge, judging the choices officers are making. Because environment... And how that person who is trying to get control and make a sound decision, what they are feeling around them uh, really distracts from what they're able to focus on. Right. And that, that was interesting to me that you're saying school zone, like even something that simple as school zone, that's 20 other variables that you're trying to account for while you're trying right. to make a decision about who you've pulled over. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to look at all of that, you know, it, um, if it's, there are, um, stops that you're going to make that, you know, you're just going to, you're just making them for stats. Oh, really? <laughs> so if anybody tells you that there's not a quota, you know, they, there is, let's, let's burst that bubble. Now <laughs> departments are going to tell you that there is most definitely not, but it, there is. It's called performance, you know, quotas. Wait, are you guys 
rated on that. And I, well, I say you guys, and I feel that's very gender bias of me. I apologize. No, I understand um, what you're saying. It's but, okay. Yeah. Right. Like, is that something officers are actually like rated on how many tickets, how many, yes. whatever. Yes. That goes into like your job performance as far as like your ability to be promoted. If you don't, um, meet a certain standard whatever their standard is then yes talk about pressure man because <laughs> again and, and actually and if you don't mind me asking first night in your car on your own most people want to feel you're a professional right like you've gone to school you've gone through training you're feeling right. you're a professional i felt my first classroom i'm a professional Right. I think I made 36 grand a year as a teacher. I'm right. in charge of 110 kids for a, you know, 180 days. Your kids right. are going to come in. They're going to be safe. They're going to learn. They're going to get home to you. They're going to be intact. And right. the older I get, I'm like, 36 grand really isn't that much money to trust into somebody. So the reason I say all that is to ask, do you remember your initial salary when you started? Um, it's a little bit of a loaded question while you're thinking, yeah. because in my head, I wonder what pressure are we putting on officers to perform in order to make a more comfortable standard of living for teachers? The pressure is to get an advanced degree. You get a master's, right. you're pretty good. You get a doctorate, you're fucking fine. You're, you're going right. to enjoy life. Right. But if part of your performance and part of a teacher's performance is how many kids meet a standard on a standardized test, can they score a certain grade? You get so many kids doing it, you're a good teacher. And then you can use that and it's a resume builder. Well, so, it wasn't, so it wasn't, um, for, for, for that okay. particular, it wasn't for like you would get a raise or anything, but what I think it fosters, which is, um, which was part of, in my little story, um, it, it, it didn't do this to me, but it, it, it's stats, right? How many, how many, um, complaints did you send over to the DA? How many, um, you know, how many DUI arrests? How many, how many, it's, it just factors into, if you have this, if you have all of these numbers, these high numbers, and you're doing all of these things, no matter how you got it, you are going to be the chosen one. But that's what I was getting to. And being yeah. the chosen one, are there financial yes. benefits and career benefits to that where as a younger person in the field, you're seeing the pathway for success as fucked up as it may be. And you're like, okay, it's a numbers game. Or am I oversimplifying it? Feel free to yeah, correct me. I think me. you're, I think um, it's just, it's a, it's a way for, I think, I think it, it's a way, it's an avenue for bad apples to do what they want. Because they have the numbers where the people, and again, it, I, 
it's amazing the parallels that I'm trying to draw between <laughs> being a police officer and a school teacher. But it, I understand, I feel like I understand hierarchies and people who are not boots on the ground, maybe it's my military experience as well, making decisions quantitatively versus qualitatively. A lot of people who are in decision-making positions make it based on numbers. They don't make it based on their experience of what's going on. So right. what can they justify a decision with when they have to go to people who give them money is 48%, 32%, 96%, and they start 748 and they just... Right, right. And numbers you know, I, are very I'm not easy sure to that sell. I was, I'm not sure I was that aware of of those kind of numbers until I started to unravel. 100%. Most people aren't. Until... until I was told, you know, do this or you're going to be written up. Do Stop. this. Or you... Oh, yeah. Do so what? I... Oh. Yeah. So. Um, That's so, so disheartening I... to hear. Do this. Yeah. So, so I wasn't aware of it early on in my career because um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a factor, right. I would say. Um, and when it became a factor is when I started to unravel, when I didn't know that I was unraveling. <laughs> well, no, because that pressure builds and all this, you don't even understand why you're feeling a certain way because no. you're, you're most likely, and again, you haven't gotten into it, but you seem, and we've spoken for maybe almost an hour at this point. So I don't know you, but my initial gut reaction is you're a nice person. <laughs> you're you're not looking to fuck anyone over. And no. I'm I'm feeling a little bit of conflict in what you're saying as you're feeling torn as like, dude, I'm like, I have to make sure I and fuck people over is probably too strong of a way to say it. And I don't want to put that into you, but that's how I'm taking it is like, so I gotta get this quota to be good. I can't just be good being me. And that would well, really mess with me. So when you're talking about like, you're going to be, you got to get blank or you're written up. Most people want to please their bosses and be like, what's the standard boss? Got you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet it. And that whole term written up to me was very jarring. I can't believe that you yeah. said that. I, I wow. was, I was written up several times. Um, but not meeting but I, or I not? have hindsight now. So, so I have I have um, I have knowledge now about what was going on with me that was was not allowing me to do what they wanted me to do, if that makes any sense. Do you think you should have? And I, I actually want to know what they wanted you to do, but do you think you should have done what we haven't actually said they wanted you to do yet? But do you now, looking back, think you should have just complied and not gotten written up? No, what should have happened is they should have gotten me help when I was in distress. Oh. That's what should have happened, and then I could have been able to do my job. Gotcha. What was causing the distress? Um, just the um, – when, when all of that was going on, I was in a downward, downward spiral. Um, I had – just years of, you know, almost 20 years of, of trauma that I didn't know 
was affecting me the way it was affecting me. So, and if you don't want to talk about it, I completely understand. And I'm not trying to get you in any sort of weird way. It's more of a functional understanding for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm still so curious about the do this, the this, like what is the, if you can, what were the specifics that led to these kind of conflicts that brought out the stress? Um, you mean as far as the, the, uh, you have to make 12 traffic stops a night? It was, it was literally, cause I've read about that in, and I haven't read a ton, but I, I do enjoy Malcolm Gladwell and he went into his latest book. I believe it's talking to strangers with Sandra Bland. She mm-hmm. was pulled over in Texas. She winds up, I believe being incarcerated. She hangs herself after three days and he does all these parallels about talking to strangers while interweaving her story. And part of what I remember reading in the book is that officer was actually the one who pulled her over was like one of those dudes that was like, I have 112 tickets a day. I've identified 16 DUIs this month. And you almost fucking like picture it as like employee of the month type shit where it's like, you have again, that stat that validates that. And then other people in the office are seeing it and they're like, Oh, well that's what's respected. I need to go with that. So that again, as an outsider, that's what I'm curious about is understanding the specifics based on what I've read in books is what's making you feel that way. So for me, it was, um, I stopped doing, again, I, this is hindsight, right? This is, this is, I've been retired now for several years and this is a lot of, of work on myself in order to be able to even say some of these words. So, um, so I, what I know now is that I stopped doing um, a lot of what I needed to do. I, I I was there as a as a shell. I mean, I was there in uniform. I was there. I showed up every day, but um, but I was just, you know, I should I have been in a uniform? Probably not. But um, in that moment, but um, I I wasn't going to. I didn't know what was happening. And that's what I'm curious about though, is how you got (laughs) to that point. So, uh, and I don't mean to, and I don't want to talk over your podcast because I always think of these as my guest podcast, but in my head, I'm of the, so full disclosure, I have a master's of education. I have a doctorate in educational leadership. I've been to sergeant school in the military. Like, And you I, can't pronounce my name? I know. It's fucking terrible, Mulaney. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm saying all that to say, when you get in a profession, you, you empower those below you because they're not fucking factory workers. They're professionals. 
Right. You need to trust their judgment. And if they have a lapse, then you deal with it as far as, hey, man, here's our mission statement. Hey, man, this is our goal. Hey, these are our objectives. And you realign and retrain as needed. But you hire and empower professionals below you because they are educated. Right. And I'm so surprised that you were, as an educated officer, like you got to this place of feeling I'm a shell and that, and I don't mean to harp. And if you don't want to talk about it, just say, you know, Sean, I need to talk about something else and I completely get it. But that's what I'm so curious about is what, what got you there from your first night in a patrol car to we're almost 20 years later now. That's a lot of time. How did you get to the point where it's like, I'm a shell? What pressure is you feeling? Like what, what, what's causing that? Because you, you go to, you know, uh, dead body after dead body, you know, murder, suicides, accidents. Um, and then, and you're not allowed to talk about it, right? Why aren't you allowed to talk about it? Because it's a suck it up um, uh... mentality, right? Now, again, I hope that that's changing, but... Um, and it's not changing fast enough, but, um, but it's, that's the way you're trained. You know, that's the way you're trained in the Academy. That's the way you're trained in FTO. That's the way you're trained. You know, it's, it's handle the call, do the paperwork, go to the next one. And, and we're not talking about that. We go to the bar to deal with, you know, what we, you know, what you just saw or you, you know, you, you kick your dog or you, you know, go through marriages or you, you know, because you don't, because once you have, once you're seasoned enough and you, you've been through all of that and seen all of that, then it, and you can't talk about it. It's, you put that rock in your backpack, you know, you put it in, you put it in, you move on, you move on, you move on. And then it's the slightest little feather of a call that's going to break you. Jesus, man. Um, and that's what happened. What do you mean? That's what happened. That's what happened to me. Was there, was there one particular call that was like the feather for you? Well, there was one incident that, that I never went back into a patrol car, but there was so uh, much that, that yeah, yeah. needed uh, that led up to that were all the rocks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my department was, um, and again, I, I don't, I've never talked about this publicly ever. <laughs> um, so, um, I, I don't want to try to, I don't know, man. I struggle with this because I never want to try to exploit anybody in any way. Although no, I do fine. want to give them a voice and try to, what I try to do is give perspectives to help yeah. people understand. I, I frame it as a humanistic podcast where it's, can we listen to people who have different jobs from different areas who have been through different things and in a long form conversation, understand what and why? Because I think that's so missing in the society and fucking whatever, CNN, Fox News, 
even radio, talk radio, you listen, dude, you get maybe a minute and a half and then you're fucking cut off and you never get to elaborate. You never get a context. Right. So my department failed me. That's the bottom line. From a mental health aspect? From, yep. From, from when I started asking for help to the day I never went back into my patrol car. Do you think asking for help is one of the reasons why or the reason why? I, I don't know, but, um, it didn't help me. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, we, we both almost have that like soldier's mentality, which is hilarious because I'm fucking almost 15 years removed from my military background and I still feel it. And I can tell you still feel your training background and you're like, no, nah, that shit didn't help. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it didn't help, you know? So, and again, I've been retired for, um, almost six years now, which I can't even believe, but I, and I've never, um, you know, for the first three years, three and a half years, maybe four years, I didn't speak, um, about any of it. So when you say any of it, you mean the mental toll it took on you? Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, because ultimately I was fired from my department for something really petty and I had to fight for three years to get my name and my job back. Wait, how many years did you serve before you were fired? Almost 20. So, yeah. So you had almost... And when you talk about the incident that was the quote unquote feather, however you want to word it, what is that the feather that led to the firing or there was something after? Yeah. The firing came after. Um, and it was just, I think it was just, um, it was out of the blue. And I think it, I, I don't know this, but it was, I was asking for help, asking for help, asking for help. And, um, you know, I, I would, my sergeant would show up and I would be crying in my patrol car uncontrollably. Oh my God. And it was like, Hey, get yourself together. I'm going to go handle this call for you, but you need to get your shit together. It wasn't, are you okay? Do you think you should be in a patrol car? It was, there was none of that taking place jesus dude dude what got you to the point where you're crying in a patrol car (laughs) wearing a uniform um (laughs) (laughs) um it was just the last year of my career really now looking back just was havoc on me emotionally, um, physically, um, but I, um, I didn't know that. Right. I just, I, I literally thought I was going crazy. Yeah, I bet. If anyone (laughs) goes, 
If anyone yeah. goes to their job and cries, if if you take the police officer aspect out of it, how many people you might say, yeah, my job sucks, right? Like you may hate clocking in, right? Right. But, but to go and emotionally be brought to tears is an extra level. But I didn't know why. See, I hadn't cried for 20 years. So, so the fact that I, I couldn't control the tears, which was, which was then pissing me off. Uh, I had no clue. Like I couldn't, I didn't know where they were coming from. Oh my. That if I, if somebody looked at me, you know, if, if I, I just couldn't control it. Um, it's, it's still to this day, it's one of the symptoms of my post-traumatic stress that I have no control over, which is the most frustrating for me. Oh, dude, especially if you're used to being, if if you're a control person, like it's, and then you grow up with the mentality of whatever, don't be a bitch, don't be a punk, don't be a blank. Stop crying or you're crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Yeah, no doubt, right? And then you're like, fuck man, I can control this. And it just, like every tear makes you feel like more of a loser. And so, it, 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 yeah. it, when it, you're when you're a police officer, you aren't a human being. You are a human doing, right? Mm. So, so you you don't have the ability to have normal human emotion emotions so for, right. for an ab, abnormal event that you are witnessing. I don't. I, I've spoken to a couple EMTs, and they've described it that way where you have to, you can't make sound decisions if you get emotional. No. The, the situation's can't. fucked. Like no. the person who needs help, if extreme example, if someone's bleeding out of their leg, they've lost a leg, lost an arm. Like you've lost a limb. If you approach that position from, if you approach that situation from a position of empathy, the person who needs help will die. Or they will not you get the help not, they need. Yeah, you have to you be of sound mind. Humanize it. Hundred percent. You you can't yeah. empathize. You can't say, "Oh my God, if that was my sister, my daughter, my brother, my son, my father, my..." Nope. It's what is my standard operating procedure? What is the right. first step? Okay. Right. Blood tourniquet. Is my environment safe? Check. The environment is safe. Is help on the way? Help is on the way. How do I? And it's this checklist of shit that you just got to do, which is completely dehumanizing to anybody with emotions. If you see that on a repeated basis, right? which people can very easily forget fucks with people with emotions. You can't see that. It's therapists. Like you can't, you can't hear about people's fucked up lives. You, another, another, God, I, it's amazing. The people I really think about also as people who suffer are like doctors who deal with pediatric cancer. Oh, how pediatric you, cases, old people cases. How do you deal um, with that? Right. Because on a daily they, basis. Right. And be okay and still have love in your heart knowing what can happen. Right. And well, I just found that I just got it back. I mean, I'm still trying to get it back. Yeah. And I, officers are so similar in that way. And I guess that was the point I was making is I think sometimes people can underestimate 
the trauma of a day. Like you do five days a week on a 12 hour shift, four days a week on a 12 hour shift. You see a lot of shit and people don't always account right. for how that builds up. Right. And it can, and, and towards the end, it can be just little stuff like, you know, um, I, you know, just stepping over, stepping over people are vicious. People are vicious to people. And when you have to see that and you can't recognize a human being because they've been beaten or they've been left on the side of the road or mm. they have been shot and, and you, me, um, you're there, you do it, you, you don't process it, you, you just go through the motions, right? And then you get in your patrol car and you say, 10-8, uh, and they say, uh, next detail. Mm. Yeah, you don't have so, any of that time to decompress or even, even fuck, man. I wish process. You can't process. process what you just saw. Yes. Not only decompress, but process. And I don't even know if you would get to a point of understanding, but just. And God forbid you say to one of your, your fellow officers, that call fucked me up because then you're a sissy or a, or a, you know. <sighs> can I ask you, and you can feel free. I love saying this. Feel free to slap me if I overstep some boundary but you had brought this up about being, you said gay. I feel like I need to say homosexual to be proper or whatever. Although Rehoboth Beach is literally the gay summer capital of the East Coast. And like, okay. I, like I've like i lived with two gay guys. Um, My daughter's god uncle is queer. Like I, I, I don't right. hold any prejudice towards, I'm not here in judgment. Right, right. But I'm saying all that to say I've been around a lot of lesbians and sometimes in masculine positions. I grew up in restaurants, line cook wise. Okay. You're always fucking proving yourself. You're always right. trying to say I'm better or at least equal to one of the boys. Right. I'm right. taking my mentality of that and trying to put it into a police officer's position where you may be feeling vulnerable and saying, dude, I just need to fucking talk about this, man. I'm wondering what role the sexual, sexual preference, I don't, sexuality, sexual preference plays in vulnerability and being able to just have some time. Or did you not even see it as playing? You just saw it as officers don't talk about this. It has nothing to do with me being a yeah. lesbian. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that that... Um... Um, Did I ask that in a weird way? I really didn't mean to be offensive in any way. Yeah. No, I think, um, I don't think that, or I'm not sure that that had a lot to do with it. You know, it's just, you know, it was hard just being a woman in a man's world. Gotcha. So whether you're straight or gay, um, it's just hard. Yeah. So, um, you do have to you do have to prove yourself over and over and over. And then when you fail once, then they don't ever forget that. Did that actually happen to you where you felt like you failed once and you had to hear about it? Oh, I, I think, um, I was, 
So I think I, when I was in the midst of my, um, and again, I didn't know this. I know I I keep saying this, but it's important to realize that had I known now what, if I knew then what was going on with me, I would have been able to do something about it. And I would would probably still be an officer. Wow. So, um, and that's um, really sad for me. Um, But um, I had, I didn't know what was going on with me. So I just, I knew that, the the um, I knew that something was going something was happening I you know I haven't slept in years you don't sleep you're hyper vigilant you are angry 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 um, and you um, so you do all of these self destructive behaviors because you don't because you're in so much pain and you don't know what it's called other mm. than you're going crazy. Um, and so I had some, you know, again, my department failed me. They, they allowed some things. They allowed, you know, an officer to, to torment me for over a year and a half, say shit on the radio um, you know, I begged them to make it stop. I asked them to make it stop. I, I went, um, to everybody that I could go to, to, to ask them to make it stop. And they, they wouldn't do it. You know, he was the chosen one. Um, although he had been, you know, sent to, uh, rehab several times, you know, if you have an alcohol problem, that's fine. We can fix you. We'll send you to your, your school or your, your, rehab and then you can come back all fixed but if you ask for help because you're suffering uh mentally yeah for fucking empathy because you're starting to care about people all bets are off. holy shit dude like public radio shaming right yeah that and and i i don't i don't fully understand it but i feel i have a little bit of a grasp of it that's worse than fucking being called out on facebook like, I, I don't think people understand the importance of what people feel about how they are presented on radio. In, or in briefing. In yes. briefing in front of the sergeants. Stop. It happened there, too? Yeah. they And I I mean, I... No. I that, that, that was such... That, that just... That was the beginning of the end. That um, would be the feather. Dude, what was being... So, that wasn't the feather. Oh my god! <laughs> but that was the beginning of the end. That that made me think even more that I was going crazy, because he flat out said it. You know, I'm going to do this, and in in briefing, and nobody said anything. They just allowed the train to go down the track. And um, can I ask what was being said? If you feel comfortable sharing, I, just I don't remember the the um the words now because i've done a lot of work to try not to remember that kind of stuff this is where i feel like a dick i feel like i'm like yeah 
like and actually, picking a scab. Of, Do you know what I'm part saying? Part of my post-traumatic stress doesn't allow me to really, um, my brain is mush, you know? So my short-term memory loss and all of that, or my short-term memory and, and, you know, so although I can recall, uh, like specific scenes and that kind of stuff, I couldn't tell you who was there, but, gotcha. um, but, but I begged, begged for help. I'm just amazed that people in authority, and if you're saying whatever is being said, this makes me hella uncomfortable. Can it please stop? If you've presented this to people, uppers, right? Like you go up the ladder, you go up the hierarchy and nothing's being done. I'm just like, I, I don't get that from a basic HR 101 <laughs> standpoint, right? Like we don't, have, we don't have that kind of stuff in the police departments. That's again, the problem. I oh, seriously had enough. I asked for it to go upstairs and I was told that I, it was going to ruin my career. And, and are you sure you, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. You know, it's not going to ruin his career. It's going to ruin yours. And you know what? Sure as shit. Guess who's retired. Dude, that was literally said to you by superiors. Yep. God. All over mental health. No, well, all over not wanting to be, um, yeah, fucking called out or however or you want to, you know, yeah, I don't want to use the word picked on yeah, because bully. then you sound like a, well, yeah, a, it sounds like a school child, but basically like in a, in a rudimentary sense of the way, it's fucking, you're being bullied by, bullied. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. By um, somebody. Yes. Do you so, remember what was the picking? Was this the person that found you crying or was this before no. or after? No, this was, this was an officer that, um, we had an accident. Um, he, uh, he, he hit my patrol car. He blamed me, blamed me for it. Um, but the, the report came out that he was at fault okay. and he didn't like that. And he made that super clear in briefing that my life was going to be hell after this accident. And was there a rank issue? Like, was he no same rank as you? Yeah, just yeah, patrol. Oh my god, dude! That what? Not like rank would excuse it, but you would maybe understand whatever. I've got twenty years of like the position, but if you're a fucking peer, why are you being that guy over? Like, was he gonna lose his job? Was it a big deal that he fucking hit you? No, I think he got a couple days or got a little bit of discipline or something, but, um, he was angry. He was, I mean, he, he needs help too, you know, sure. looking on it now, but, um, um, but that was the beginning of, of the, a lot of the unraveling for me. Yeah, well, I cannot imagine. It's very hard for me to understand. And I'm not saying you're wrong in any way. I guess I'm going at this from an empathetic standpoint. Publicly being demeaned in front of my peers, what that would do to me. Right. I don't know how many people have actually experienced that in a profession that they 
care about, that you honestly put your life on the line for, to be, to deal with public, you ain't whatever was said, like, oh my gosh, that's... Yeah, and and to be allowed to to still continue to do it and do it and do it because there was going to be no stopping it. So do you rem- I can't, it's hard for me to understand the radio aspect. What I, like I, I can picture. And again, I, I don't mean to compare it to teaching, but that's almost, that's my profession. That's what I'm going off of. And I've been in somewhat militaristic rooms where you put a bunch of people in a room and you have one person up there talking and then a bunch of people make fucking snide comments and people shout right. out and whatever. Like it's what happens. It's like a classroom. So right. I'm picturing it in that way and I could get him maybe wanting to whatever, save face and make light of the situation. Oh, and, there was no light. No, no. And right. And I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't have said it that way, but what I was getting at is to then continue it to radio talk to then continue oh, yeah. it, to demean over like, it's no longer the fucking next day, bro. We're, we're, we're talking about days, weeks later. It's a fucking played out joke. Stop. And that's what it seems. For over a year. Stop. That long? For over a year. How do you keep it up for over a year? Hit me with your dad joke. That's what she said. (laughs) I had to. Sorry. I I had to. I I don't know. I just, I'm, uh, I don't know. It was it was not easy for me. Um, I, you know, I had a good sounding board. Um, I have a good sounding board at home, but, um, but it, it was just hard. It was hard. I I, I don't even, it was hard. So. um, And timeline wise, and again, and I don't mean to, you can correct me at any point. Cause again, this is your story. I keep going back to you be lacking control of your emotions, crying in that, in that patrol car. Is this before or after or part of during, this is all during because oh I, because I had, um, asked for help. You know, I had went to a, um, a three-year-old that um, I was, I did CPR and ended up dying. And, and I was asking like, Hey, this call, I, I need help. Like, and, and they sent somebody to my house one day and she said, Oh yeah, whatever you're, you know, you're, you're, you're good to go. What you're feeling is, is super okay. And you're good to go. Well, Stop, dude. yeah. After, and, and a three, after performing CPR on a three-year-old, you got right, one day, was, you got one day. Oh yeah. Of mental health help. And I don't even know if she was a mental health person. I, I don't even know who, I don't even remember who she was. Oh my God. Um, that tears me up. That's but, terrible. Um, you know, and then, so, so, so j- just to give you a, a timeline, kind of the last year of my career was kind of just a shit show. You know, I had uh, a, a three-year-old die. I had a 10 month old die at a daycare. I had, um, a oh gentleman um, blow his head off in his dog run. Um, um, I had the the car accident. I had um, uh, ultimately I had my back patrol car window blown out, which is what 
I never went back in the patrol car again after that, but that was, oh, and then I blew my ACL out. That was all the, the last, pretty much the last, um, last year, maybe year and a half of my career. Um, but that whole time I, I was on a downward spiral, um, and didn't know what was happening to me. That was the, that's the scariest thing. I didn't know, you know, I have my department saying, you have to do this because you're not performing. But I physically didn't feel like I could perform, um, but I still showed up every day. Um, and, and then, and then it just, it just, you know, was out of control. I, you know, I was on my bathroom floor with my gun in my hand and, um, you know, I just didn't, I, I just needed the pain to stop and I needed the, the talking about me to stop. I needed somebody to just understand what was happening with me and nobody wanted to hear it. Um, that is so fucking scary for people who yeah. are, who, who wake up to protect and serve like you, what you would not want anyone who is a public servant to feel that way. And the, the, the amount of us that are walking around feeling that way is you would be, do you, you would be, is it really that many? Do you think, do you know how many of us kill ourselves because we want the pain to stop? I do not. I'm, again, yeah. I'm, I don't mean to be ignorant or slight, but I, I, I honestly do not. We, Police officers are dying at a rate of suicide far exceeds the rate of um, of being killed on the job. God. And so, you know, I was right there. I I I was right there numerous times. Um, I. <laughs> I just hearing three-year-old, 10-month-old would, would be a lifetime of trauma for me. <laughs> no, ser I mean, like that's, I, I don't understand how that gets condensed <laughs> into a, a year of a 20-year career. If people want to get a little perspective of Hey, it's Tuesday. What'd you do today? How was work today, sweetheart? Right. How do you come home and say, and I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm it, again, but that's the reality. What, what do most people do when they come home from work with their spouse, with their, with right. their partner? Hey, how was work? Tell me about your day, sweetheart. How, I'm fine. Yeah. Do you even want to say, yeah, it's 755, this three-year-old. No, we, I didn't, I didn't talk about any of that to my right. wife, any of that. Right. Um, you know, and, and I just said, oh, I'm fine. Or, or she knew by the look on my face that I had a bad day or if I came home with blood on me or, um, or, you know, whatever she knew, she knew the moment I walked in the door by the look on my face, whether I had a good shift or a bad shift. 
maybe a little bit of a pivot, um, but I'm really wondering how you have tried to balance that relationship with your spouse and wanting that support, but not wanting to bring them into your world and your experiences. I, I didn't. Right. I, I, so I how didn't do you... know how to. I, um, I, I know now, I mean, you know, we've been together for, um, 17 years. Um, and I am not the, uh, these last several years is who I was, who I'm beginning to be pre uniform. Mm. Um, because all of those years in between, um, of just being um, this shell right. walking around. I mean, I I could isolate in a room full of people, um, and you know, just when 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 my symptoms really took off, um, it was horrible for my wife. Horrible because when I ultimately lost my job. I, I got it back, but I spent three years not knowing what was going to happen. How could they do this? How could they win? How could they, you know, all of this, all of it. Um, and then, um, and then just wanting it all to just wanting the pain to stop. Um, what do you mean three years? I I had to fight for three years to get my job back. And I had to go through. This may be yeah. a real asinine question. Why do you want that job back? Because I wanted, because I didn't do what they said I did. And I wanted my name cleared. Oh, God. Okay. Um, um, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be in any way disrespectful towards you. I'm just thinking of all you've been through and I, I get it now with, with the, I have my name and my word, right? That's, that's the two things I have, right? Cause you were like, Oh, and that's something I don't think we actually actually said. And I, I don't know if you're able to say it, but when you were quote unquote fired, which apparently mm -hmm. you were wrongfully fired, <laughs> right. um, what was the, that helps me to understand it. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to come across again as an ass. Um, no, it's okay. What what were you actually let go for? What was the charge? Ulti ultimately, um, I was on um, I was on uh, paid administrative leave at the time because I because my nobody's ever going to convince me of this. I don't give a shit what kind of investigation my department did, but my back of my patrol car was blown out. Right. And they're trying, they tried to tell me that it wasn't a bullet or something, but they weren't in that car. They didn't hear that sound. They didn't, they don't, that I can tell you it's been six years and I can just talking about it right now. I, I, I hear it. I see it like it was yesterday. Um, and so I was on um, leave because of this traumatic event, right? Which ultimately ended up being, I think, just their way of just, you know, saying, okay, let's just give her some time. And then um, I, they, 
this was in November. Um, and then in March of the following year, um, uh, I had, wow. in mind you, I had surgery during this time. I had my ACL repaired. And so I was on um, workers' comp uh, rehabbing my ACL that I finally had repaired because I had worked on a blown ACL for several months. Um, and um, they called me in in, a, in March and or January or something telling me they were going to do an investigation because they said that I had left work 30 minutes early um, back in April of the, of the following year, the past year. What the fuck does that have to do with your back window getting blown out? Well, nothing. But that was their way of getting me out the door. They were trying to tell me I stole from the county 30 minutes. So oh my God. they ultimately did their investigation, which um, they called me in in March and said, oh, we did our investigation. We found that you did this and you're going to be fired. So they fired me. So from that time on, I fought for three years through through every single appeal arbitration which they found out that they had lied and didn't tell the truth and um and the arbitrator ruled in our our favor said you you have to give her a job back she you know so um so i was reinstated i never went back because uh and then i had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress um, and ultimately retired um, on, a, on a, a medical retirement. But I wasn't going to, that fight almost killed me. I almost let them win by, by me taking my own life um, or, you know, ruining my, my, my relationship at home. And I, you know, I did so much damage to, to, you know, the way I treated our children and, um, and, and so I fight, um, on a daily basis to, to repair all of that. Right. Um, and why not just so, let it, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just, why are you holding on so hard to the reputation? You're just that fucking competitive. <laughs> well, I don't think it was a reputation. I just think it was, you are not going to tell me I'm a thief. Oh. You've told me all of this time leading up to this that you're worthless. You don't know how to do your job. Mm. You have to be on these performance improvement plans. You better do all of this. You better, 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 better. But you never once asked me how I was doing. Mm. How are you doing? I can see that you're not yourself. I can see that you're not doing what you need to be doing. Is there something going on? If they would have asked me that, I could have gotten help earlier for my for what was happening. That makes sense. Cuz it's yeah. It's just another it it's another thing. Yeah. You're like it's another When I finally got the thing. diagnosis of my post traumatic stress, it I, I'm telling you, 
it was like it was like being born i i i was like oh my gosh thank thank the lord i'm i'm not crazy i, I because i thought i was going crazy people from and again what i've heard and i'm no sort of expert but there is a lot of comfort in labeling people can feel in control they can have a path they can now understand how to deal with they can relate to others there's a tribalism or something when you're going through things where if it's like like oh exactly like what you said i'm not fucking crazy this is ptsd from what i've been through okay right. now i have a plan now i understand it, it gives you a grasp uh, uh, almost like a, a relative starting point of now I know here's how I move forward. Here's it's how the same I get as better. my knee. I yeah. hurt my knee. I got to yeah. get an MRI on my knee. Oh, guess what? Your ACL's blown out. You have to have surgery, right? Yeah. That's yeah. okay. But if the minute you say you're having some difficulties and you are like the, you, you might as well be Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, um, so nobody wants to talk about it. And that's the problem. We need to talk about it because yeah. officers are suffering. And they, and, and I would think they would need to, they would need help understanding because it might not be all PTSD. It, I, and I don't know what the spectrum would be, but I would imagine there are different facets of struggles mentally that officers go through and different ways to deal with like what you're saying about body injuries. If you have an elbow issue compared to a knee issue, compared to a neck right. issue, compared to a back issue, different right. treatments. And sometimes you might need a massage. Sometimes you might need a brace. Sometimes you might need six weeks off to understand and some physical therapy. And if you put that into the brain with all the fucking different parts of a brain, like we know how many different things a brain does. And it's amazing. We try to treat it like it's just a brain. Dude, it's right. its whole fucking system. There's, right, right, right. There's, a, there's a ton of different shit that thing does for you. And each part needs different treatment. It, it, it affects different parts of your body. And I think what you're saying is honestly helping me to realize like you need to listen. You need to diagnose. You need to take time. You can't just that one lady coming over being like, oh, yeah, you feel this way for a reason. Good job. You're fine. Right. No, that, well, that's but not see, the but, but see, if they, if they allow, I mean, you know, my hope is that if there's some young officer out there that's listening or whatever, that they don't have to be me. Right. They don't. They don't have to get to, to become me that they can know that if they just talk about it, if they, if they say that call fucked me up, if you, if you have the courage to deal with the calls as they come up and you don't harbor them and you don't put them, just throw them in your backpack that you don't have to be me. Right. What, and I don't know if you have a recommendation. So in my head, something, I forget honestly who I was talking to about this. Um, it might've been one of the people that was running for 
governor of Delaware, we were talking about police reform. Mm-hmm. And I was floating the idea of, and I forget, again, forget where I heard it. What if it was mandatory one hour a week, every single officer had to check in with a mental health professional. So no one feels called out like I'm the sissy. Oh, that call messed me up. It's like, no, dude, it's Tuesday, 10 o'clock. This is your time. Everyone does it. And then when you leave Tuesday, 11, your next person does it. And it's not because you're weak. It's because it's mandated. And then, So some departments out here are now having clinicians on staff. But is it, but are they, are officers able to regularly or required to regularly meet to decompress and better compartmentalize what they've been through would be my question. It's, it's getting better it, and they're doing more debriefings and more, um, there, there, there are some departments that are doing it, doing it well. And there's some departments that. So have no clue. That's what I'm wondering though, because my only solution that I can come and come up with, if I had to be the decision maker, would be like, you know what, instead of a 12 hour shift, so 40 hours a week, 35 hours, you're on the road. You're in, you're in your car. Those other five, I get one hour a five day work week where it's either de-escalation training, it's either counseling it's physical fitness it's firearms training it's i'm looking to try to understand what would be a healthy solution for officers and people going through the trauma like you and the only thing i can come up with in my mind is dude that's a stressful ass job you need mandatory what sessions with someone who is not in your home? Cause it seems like to me, most officers are not trying to take this shit home. They want to leave work at work. So yeah, but that doesn't, that's, right? that, that's ultimately the goal, but that doesn't happen because you come home, your, your family yeah. sees it on your face. They know your kids tiptoe around you. Right. Nobody wants to be around you because yeah. you're an asshole. Yeah. Um, and, um, but do or you, you just think, I'm sorry. I, I I really didn't mean to cut you off, but do you think if you would have had at least one hour a week where you had to meet with someone where you knew it was private and just talk, yeah, do you I, think I, that would have helped the home life? My home life was so, so I, I have a very forgiving and loving wife and, and she, <laughs> I mean, and I mean that, um, and she, she, you know, she, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put up with me. Yeah. But, Spouses of um, officers put up with a lot. Like, like yes, they're, they're yes. frontline heroes in this, in this battle. Yeah. But, um, I think if, um, so, you know, I just lost my train of thought, but, no, and, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't talking, saying that. Yeah. And I yeah. wasn't saying that to specifically speak about your home life. I was more generalizing. So I didn't mean right. to paint anyone in your life in any particular way, but right. I'm just curious if you would have had that valve, if you would have known every Wednesday at 1 PM, oh, I, I can this. just get all this shit out. So yes. then Wednesday, when I get home, would you have felt, do you feel you have walked, you would have walked through that door with a different facial yes. expression, with a different tone, with a different mindset? Absolutely. And, and, and our department had a peer support, Yeah. <laughs> but our, but our, when I first got hired, 
I, you know, they tell you about, we have this peer, blah, blah, blah. I saw the names on that peer support list and I wouldn't have told them that I took a shit. Right. But that's okay. Because the people on that list were the biggest gossipers yeah. in the department. Yeah. And so that was not an avenue. Now the avenue that you're talking about, absolutely. If you, yes, if it was safe, if it was confidential, if it was. It's almost got to be one-on-one, right? Like you don't want to put your shit out there in front of two, three other people. Like exactly like you were talking about with getting blasted on fucking briefings or the radio. But Why when you're in a spiral, to... when you're in a spiral yeah. like I was, it was all out there. I mean, it, yeah. I don't think anybody really knew what was going on, but, um, or they knew they didn't, they didn't care. I, I, you know, it wasn't until I went to the retreat, um, and I sat in a room with six other officers that I've never met before in my life. Mm. And we started talking and we, it was the first time in 20 years I didn't feel alone Wow. Um, because they were saying the things that I was thinking that, that I mean it it was the most it, that that program that 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 retreat that's six days inpatient saved my life um, how did you get there or did you ask to go to that? Did you get sent there? Did you so Google this was that? during this was during the time that I was still fighting for my job back, and um, so we were down to one income. Oh, um, Talk about stress. Fuck. Yeah, my yeah. I don't know how my wife did it, but she she did it, and um, because I was checked out, yeah. I was completely checked out, um, and I. You know, she wasn't allowed to talk about what was going on. My own family in Ohio didn't even know that I wasn't working anymore. Mm. Um, um, you know, she was forbidden to talk about anything that was happening because I was ashamed. Yeah, I I know that now, but I was so ashamed, and um, and so I just felt like I had let everybody down. I had, you know, um how could I not handle this? How could I let it get to this? How, how could I have done worked my whole entire career Mm -hmm. and then it just be in the shitter? Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I was asking about the, and I, I apologize for making you go back there and I don't mean to bring up all that pain. I really don't. And again, if, okay. if, if you want to, we no, can talk about something I'm else, but I'm, I was curious, how did you actually wind up getting to the point where you could get this six days of help, which is yeah. what I was curious, because I think that's something important if people, and I'm going to assume, I'm going to hope people who can hear this want help. You, most people come to a point where you want help. And that's why I was curious how did you get to this point where you felt heard? Was it mandated? Did you Google and just say, I got to fucking go. Did you hop in your Jeep and you were like, I can't take it. Ah! And you just fucking start driving. Like, how do you find the help? I didn't know that this existed. And uh, ultimately it was because we had two officers that were killed in Santa Cruz. And the spouse of one of those officers was um 
uh, interviewed on the the nightly news and she it was after you know that I, I don't know what the time frame was right. till after they but she ultimately was talking about this retreat that she went to and when my wife got home from work i i was just like there's a place like there's there's a place and so she looked it up um she called them uh and they told her um sorry you can't um call for her she if she wants help she needs to call for herself so mm. uh, every day my wife would come home and say did you call them did you call them and um what do you mean I, every... then... I, I, god i'm so so i'm so bad i i so apologize i i'm a dick i apologize i'm like I'm amazed. It took you multiple days for you to call. No judgment. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm really not. But it just seems like at that point you were at a place where you were wanting that help. That's why I'm surprised. And fuck, man, I shouldn't I have interrupted you. I apologize. Help, but I was, I was wanting to help, but I was still so fearful of being, um, the shame. The shame that I carried was so overpowering that I, I just didn't know how I was going to tell this story or I, I didn't understand how anybody was going to understand what I was going through. So, um, so it did take me, you know, a week or, or, or I, I don't know how long it did take me. Right. Um, but I, I did call, um, and God, what a uh, mental torture chamber, man. That is so sad to get to that kind of mentality, like that mental place where I don't, I, I, I think of my daughter and I think of her as a 10 year old and how easy it is for kids to ask for help when they're in pain. Right. right. What happens to us as adults where we Shame. don't. We don't want to feel vulnerable, you know, yep. like, like we don't, we, we take it as a, an affront to our identity in some sense. And like, it, it, it's not me or something cognitively happens where kids don't have that kind of shame. Kids will fucking no. strip. Like I, I live by the beach, dude. Kids will get butt naked and let you fucking wipe sand off of them without a care in the world. Right. But someone who's been through the traumatic experiences you have. It, you it shouldn't was, feel the shame, was, right? Like that's either, what I want to say. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I, it was either I was going to, um, I was going to let them win. My, so my my, my my thinking was if if I if I kill myself, then then I'm out of pain. But then they get to tell whatever story they want to tell. Holy shit! And um, and then my thinking was, um sitting on the bathroom floor with my gun to my temple how could i like i i've been a i couldn't the not being able to my my family my mom my dad my my whole family my wife my kids um because i then would go to i went to those calls i you know i sat in the room with that wife 
when her husband blew his head off in the dog run. And I made sure that she and her children didn't have to go out there and see what I saw. I had it cleaned up before they got out there. So who was going to find me? How could I do that to somebody? Um, you know, that kind of shit, you know, who? So, but the shame, my shame was of, I, I let myself down. I've let everybody down that knows me. I'm a failure. I, you know, um, but when I, when I called that retreat and they talked to me on the phone and they were like, that not one time did they say, oh, wow, or, or, or no offense, but act like you act kind of, you know, yeah, like or the fuck whole, up your name, call you Mulaney. <laughs> no, just the whole, um, the whole, uh, innocence of really what we deal with. They knew they had experience where they could understand. It was immediate. And then they tell you, Oh, by the way, we have a six month waiting list. Holy and you're like, Holy fuck. I barely can make it to tomorrow. Now you got to tell me I got to wait for six months. So can I, eight, before I'm super curious what got you on the phone to call them? Do you remember um, or do you not? Like what just got you there? Sitting that for the millionth time sitting on the floor, you know, with your gun, just saying, okay, it's either call them or kill yourself. Holy shit. Um, and, and so I said, well, what do you have to lose? You can always come back. You can always be right back here on the floor. So um, is that a multiple so, time thing for you being there, like in a suicidal position? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. When you're in so much pain, you just want it to stop. And especially when you, when the, the shame and the, and the, the just not knowing what was happening. Like I, I was, I could run into any situation and I couldn't, and I'm to a place where I can't even get myself dressed. How did I get here? Yeah. Um, so, um, so when I, they, they were just like, so I had, I called, I got on the list and then, um, they called me, I don't know, maybe a month and a month later and said we have a cancellation can you be here in tomorrow and i was like yeah right so but but let me back up for a second sure. i when i found out how much it cost because it was like thirty five hundred dollars i told my wife i said we uh, we can't i can't go to that on a like, single salary with we can't kids, afford that no and and she says to me we cannot not afford it. We have to send you, you know? So she's like, I don't care what we have to do. So, um, so then they called me, I, I get to go and I walk into this retreat and there are six clients, seven clients, six or seven clients and about 30 other fucking people staring at you right <laughs> and then they they want you to tell your story on the first night and you're Holy like shit. me i was 
I was angry. If you think the Incredible Hulk looked angry, I was, I was, anger, anger and shame ruled my world for three and a half years. Were you just angry at the vulnerability or Everything. angry at being screwed over? I was just angry. I was angry about being angry. A- angry about being out through $3,500. <laughs> like, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter if, you know, it, it, it didn't matter. I was angry. So, um, and, and I just, and I want to, I'm interested in that because I don't know if interest is the right word. And again, I, I like how you were like, they're not like you with the innocence because I am completely ignorant, and innocent to it, which always makes me feel like I'm going to ask an offensive question. So I always oh. have to like preload it with an apology yeah. of some sort, but the Molotov cocktail of anger and shame, mm. they're almost yeah. too opposite. It's like happy and sad, right? Like angry and shameful they should not be together and to be experiencing that sort of tornado mm. of emotion. I like, I fuck man. Like, it I, is I, like I'm, being, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. And I honestly don't know. And maybe this is a little selfish on my part, but I, I, I really do try to empathize. Like, I don't know if I've ever been, dealing with both and it's very hard for me to understand and i don't mean to like belittle that no, in I'm any glad way you have it. but no I... like it seems like like one is enough fuck man like people who get angry you do some stupid shit people who are shameful you do some stupid shit when you're both it's like the closest i could come to is being like an angry drunk and you're putting like i've drank too much on it but to me, that doesn't take me to a shameful, angry balance of emotion, which is why I just wanted to pause to try to understand. On top of that, now you got to walk in in front of a bunch of strangers and immediately try to be asked to establish trust. And we're not right. judging you. And you're right. feeling this whole, you know, my career is on the line. These people are fucking me over. And then like, but I can be honest. I can tell my story. I'm going to be embraced and understood. And like, do I trust? And the fight to want what's yours, like all it's so much for me to wrap my head around. And, um, I I guess I just want to take a second to try, but I can't, man. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. And I'm glad you, I'm honestly glad you can't. So, um, but, and I, and I look back on it now, um, and I, seeing, being able to see who that person was and, and now who I am now in, in recovery, you know, and they, they said it, um, post-traumatic stress, right? Everybody calls it post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, right away they were like, we we are not going to call it, it's not a disorder. You weren't born with it. We're going to call it an injury. So it's post-traumatic stress injury because this is an an injury that you have, you have injured yourself on this job and with, with counseling, with treatment, with medication, with can be healed. 
So I am, am, you know, couple, you know, several years into my, my recovery, but it's like anything else. If you don't stay up on it, you are going to slide back. I'm instead of the slide, slide back, I'm wondering how empowering was it to think of it as an injury more so than a disability? (laughs) Like just hearing those words, like when you said it, that was, that was jarring to me. I took that as like, holy shit. Yeah. I'm a fucking PT this bitch. (laughs) I'm going to do my reps. I'm going to do my curls. (laughs) You need me to squat. How many steps I need to take? What's, what's the fucking, what's the prescription? Cool. Let's overcome this thing in fucking six months. Yep. Like that, just that one slight change of a word to me was yes. so empowering. It, and it's so empowering. And my hope is that, you know, that we stop calling it a disorder. Um, there, you know, disorders are there. It's not, you know, soldiers have it because of the job that they were told to do. Police officers have it because of the job they're supposed to do. Dispatchers, firefighters. Yeah nurses you know the list goes on it you we're not born with it yeah it's not a disability where it's physically something yeah i mean it's i I don't even want to put a um an analysis or an, an, an an analogy to it like it's people know what a disability is. If you're paralyzed, that's a disability. Like this is an, I love, I had not heard that before, which is why I keep thinking about it. Like injury is such a better way to phrase it because with mental health, with the reps, with counseling it. And to me that also encourages when you have an injury, what do you go do? Go see a doctor, you go get help, you go get help. So yes. if you have a disability, it's very easy to feel bad for yourself or just accept it. It is what it is. I cannot right. change it. This Correct. is definitive. Correct. And that injury just, God, it's a, that, I can't believe I never heard that before, but that is amazing. That one word can change a mentality that much. I fucking And see love it. now, now how many people can you educate? Right. Right. Or, or change their, their thinking. Just the about. mindset. Yeah. You, you know what I'm kind of fucking angry about and ashamed <laughs> is why is there a six month waiting list? What, because there's what, so many of us that need help. No, but no, that's the, that's the problem. Why are there not more facilities? There are all sorts of people with all sorts of degrees. There are all sorts of people who have all sorts of experiences that have retired. Right. There are all sorts of broken down buildings all across America that could be refurbished. And right. what are, God, I don't want to get But Now, now I have box. to tell you that, that our, our retreat has expanded um, and it's um, um, WCPR for anybody that wants to look it up. Um, and they have expanded into other states now where they're doing, um, you know, so they're, so, so ours in Napa is the, the mother, um, mothership and then they have expanded out to then train other states on what how to do what we do um uh so so it is getting better but there's still months waiting lists and now with covid and now with all of this shit happening and the fires and now i mean um you know it's 
Dude, and again, it's maybe it's my ignorance. Um, I would love if you called me Bambi just so I could seem so innocent with it. Um, if Bambi was innocent, I don't even know. But like, why does not every fucking county in every state have at least one? Because it's specialized clinicians. It's it's um, so needed, man. I'm sorry. And yeah. I, I'm not trying to put you on a spot to justify it. And, and I don't it. know the answer to, I mean, that's, that's just, for them that they right? have to figure that out. I'm, I'm just the benefactor thing. of going 100%. there and, um, and having my life turned back around the right side up. Um, what? and it didn't, didn't happen overnight. I mean, I worked, I still, I work every single day at it. So, and especially with today's times, it's so you know, that's why I wrote the, what I wrote. And it's so hard to get sucked back into what's happening in the world and not the understanding and, and the hatred and, and the, I, I understand, you know, I have, I have, um, black grandchildren do, you know, my fear when, when, when the George Floyd thing happened, it's like, do they, do they see me as that? Did they see me wearing a uniform and see me as that? And I, I cried for days about that because that is not who I am and never will be. And, and how do you talk to them about it? I, and I ended up, I ultimately ended up talking to my daughter about it, our daughter about it. And, and, she, and I, I had this road out and was afraid to share it and talk to her about it. And she was like, that, that has to be shared. And that's why I shared it on social media. I, I, I think what you said there. Where'd you go? Hold on. There you go. Sorry. I, it's amazing how brevity puts its way <laughs> into yes. really deep situ like conversations. But I, I've wondered this and uh, I was actually, it's funny, man. I was talking to my, again, I go with that. It's funny, right? It's uh, okay. I, I don't mean it to be funny. Um, But I was talking to my mom about this today and I'm a middle-class white male. I grew up Grew up decent in New York, moved to Delaware, become poor. You live in a trailer. So I, I understand a couple of different socioeconomic aspects of life. But I was telling her, I'm like, it, one thing I've gotten out of COVID after George Floyd is the realization, and I coach basketball. So I'm around a lot of African-American. I'm around a lot of black guys. And most of them like don't have a problem with me saying like, you're black, I'm white. Like It's just what we, we talk to each other. Right the shit that I've heard from them that I can't wrap my mind around and I shouldn't call it shit. It, it, it blows my mind. The fact that I have a coach that has to coach his son on how to interact with police officers. Cause that's a real worry of his every time he drives it. I didn't even realize I was ignorant to that. And then when people speak about white privilege or, or whatever you want to call it, that's exactly what is being 
brought up when it, it it's like what you're saying where I'm white and I'm in a uniform. Will I be identified as this? Right. And that's there. It's a great conversation to have because I'm thinking that's part of the hope of the movement is now right. these conversations, this acceptance of a kid is a kid, man. Can we fucking get past this? Can we understand people are people and your awareness as individuals? And I'm, I'm more entitled. Is that the right word? Than someone like you, who's a female and gay in a, in a, as a police officer, like you're, you're a minority in, in that way. So you've dealt with those prejudices as well. It's something I've really been made more aware of. And I don't know what to do with that awareness, if that makes sense. Like, I feel very helpless where I feel frustrated, where like, it's just so fucked up, but I don't, I don't know how to help. I don't know. uh, Like, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm sorry for being white kind of a thing. Like, like that, that's not helpful. What can I do to help this shit from not being shit? That's so inarticulate. That's where we are right now. We have to, I don't, you know, something has to change and I don't know the answer to that. Um, I really wonder if it's training, man. I really wonder if it's- It starts from the top, right? It starts from the top. It's, I think it starts with not giving awards to officers who are doing, bringing in all of these high numbers and- Does that really happen? Like you get awards for like, you fucking got 10 DUIs. Like oh you, yeah. I mean, you get, you, you get awards for all kind of shit, but, but the, it's not the awards that it's the problem. It's how you get the stat. If you're not being, you know, I, I think, I think we have to really police our own and, 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 and there's not an avenue of how you can, um, if you talk up, if you, if for me, if, when I said, I don't like what you're doing on this call, or you have those certain officers that you certainly don't want to back up because you know the way they work, that has to stop. And you have to have a safe place to, those officers have to stop being the field training officers or in charge. So that's immediately when you were talking about that, again, as an ignorant novice, I'll call myself Bambi, um, going to George Floyd's murder, when I heard, and I'm almost positive, it was two of the police officers had been on the job for four to five days. Right. And they were, that was their, their training officers. Yeah. And and that just being in the military and you go to basic you go to, you learn your craft, you come home, you come to your station, you have people in charge of you. I wasn't invested as much as those individuals were much like you. It wasn't a career for me. It was national guard one week in a month. I'm using it for college. Right. But I did not say shit about anyone above me that I thought was fucking up. They could do whatever because they were the people in charge of me do I have to stay up all night? Do what kind of duties do I have? What right. kind of opportunities are presented to me? Right. And my heart went out to those officers who were days into their career that they'd worked for 
having to watch that jackass fucking be a the words can't even describe what he was like like right. you, you just if you've been in some sort of hierarchy situation it's not a helplessness because you don't want to say you're helpless but at the same time it helps you to understand why they were trying to control the environment in their correct position because in their right. heads i'm sure they were hoping it doesn't turn into a murder it well, they turns, have no clue. No, no I mean, doubt, because that's not their task. That's not their right. job. That's not their standard operating procedure. You know, they've been trained and this guy, and you just, that to me, when you were talking about, aside from awards, like what can we fucking do? That, that safe place, you really wonder if everyone had to go, again, I just keep going to it. If everyone had to go into a room for a half hour, mandated, half hour Ooh. debriefing weekly, not just because you saw some fucked up shit every, every Tuesday, you got to go. What could be done? What insights could be had even on an anonymous level where you just pulled that data together and then used what you heard from cops on the beat to then adjust training. I feel it would be invaluable and there's no repercussion. Yeah. I think it would be too. Like that yeah. would be a systematic change. And yeah, I don't know, man. It's yeah, it's, there's, there's, it's going to take a while for us to get there, especially in today's, I mean, you know, we're, we're rioting right now. Right. And basketball games are being stopped and baseball games are being stopped and people are protesting and, and, uh, and so let's hope that, you know, we get some change in, in the world. Um, and that, you know, we allow officers, decent officers, honest officers, good officers like myself, um, to have the ability to do our jobs. And then deal Um, with the trauma. Like you just wonder how many situations get out of hand because of unresolved trauma the officer has been through. Right. And that's, fuck man. I didn't, I feel like I should have asked you early on, God, does it feel like we've been talking for over two hours? Yeah. And my wife's like, what the hell? Dude, (laughs) people, people will. People will be like, so how long should I set apart? And I'm like, uh, it's pretty easy to do two, three hours. I've done four. And they're like, you can talk for two, three hours. I'm like, you'd be fucking surprised, man, how easy it is if yes. you actually remove distractions, sit right. down, and just fucking talk. Like, right. it, it's easy. And again, bad podcast hosting on my part. I never even asked you, and I loved what you said there, good, decent officers who want to help. I got, I started off as a business degree in college and I've realized in my first semester, I could not pick numbers over people. Then I got into teaching. Right. I couldn't, I, I couldn't make a decision. Like, I'm sorry, your, your efficiency is subpar. You're fired. Right. I don't give a shit that it's December 21st. See, you. <laughs> let your kids have no Christmas. Like I'm not about that bottom line A socialist, right. Democrat, whatever I am. Like I, it was hard for me. Right. I'm curious what brought you to want to be a cop. 
I should have well, asked my dad earlier. Was, um, my dad was a, a police officer um, in our little township, one of our townships, and um, he was a, a sheriff. And uh, I grew up polishing his badge and his shoes on, on floors on Sunday, Sunday evenings. And um, he also, um, I don't know if this is the way it is in Delaware, but in Ohio, when you have a funeral, you have to have a police escort um, to go from the funeral home to the cemetery. And, uh, and he would um, do those extra jobs on his motorcycle for, for extra money for us. And, and, um, and so my dad was always the, the, the officer that when the, when he got the families to the entrance of the, the cemeteries that he would get off of his bike and salute as they all went through. And, mm. um, and it's just that I, I just shining all the badge and the shoes and all of that and watching him, you know, um, at a very early age. I, I mean, I, I helped people from, from the time I could walk, you know, I, I was helping my neighbors rake and shovel snow and babysit and however I could do something to help somebody. So it was just a natural progression <laughs> for me. And I don't know if it's naive on my part. I feel like the majority of public servants, police officers, teachers, firefighters, ha- like that's why they get into it. I, I, I want to say the majority, like yes. I, I feel comfortable and I don't know if that's just me being an optimist, but I feel like the majority of people in these servant positions in government, yes, the benefits are nice. Yes, it's steady pay. Un- Unlike you, and I guess it could happen to me, it takes a hell of a lot for you to get fired and lose your paycheck, you know? So that's somewhat of an appeal. But the majority of people get into these jobs because you grow up in some way wanting to help. You want to serve. And it's so fucking twisted, man, that it's turned into this detestable position. And it shouldn't be. You don't realize, you know, you don't realize you don't realize what it's all about. You don't, you don't know that you're going to go be cutting somebody out of a tree or, you know, picking somebody up. You you don't, you don't, that's not, it's just, you don't realize you think you're going to help make a difference. Yes. And, um, and I know that I made a difference. I, I know that I made a difference in, in a lot of people's lives. Um, you know, I, I started having lunch with a, with a lady on my beat and then I had lunch with her every day for several years. And I still today, even though I'm being retired, I still go and take her to lunch and, and cut her cat's nails and, (laughs) um, you know, and, and, and give her a bath and, um, you know, make her smile. Um, and I still do all of that uh, because that's ultimately who I am and who I was able to reconnect with um, through my recovery. It, it, I don't want to say it's sad, but I always say, I don't want to say, and then I call it what I don't want to call it. <laughs> right. Cause again, I'm, I'm inarticulate. I need to read more and watch less TV, but it's sad that you have to fight for the humanistic aspect in a job that is serving humans. Right. 
you know, right. like, like that, that's what I take. Cause that's beautiful. Like to, to me, it, it's not like you're a nurse's aide or anything like that, but I've always, I guess I've grown up with hearing about, we were from New York city. You hear about the cops who had their beat and they just fucking knew people. They, right. they knew who was on the block. They knew everybody that was going on. You felt comfortable talking to them. There was this yep. great rapport and they helped. Yes. And you felt very secure with that. And there's a romanticism to that, that I feel drew a lot of individuals into the field. And now that's yeah. being completely stripped away and villainized. And you really wonder what are we going to be left with, with the people who want to serve Right. What, what do you make? 50, 60 grand starting off, if that? Right. Right? Like, like who wants to deal with that and get a fucking bachelor's degree and go through all this school and then all of a sudden I'm on camera one time and my career is done and now I'm whatever. I'm, I'm vilified. I have no reputation. Like, right. who in their right mind would want to now go through that with where we are as a society and how we view police? And I feel it it's a little unfair to the majority of cops who got into the profession with a right. holistic heart of, I want to serve much like right. teachers. I've really, and it's funny, the parallels I keep drawing to teachers, but it feels very fitting. It really does. Right. right. Yep. So all right. So what did we miss anything? Well, I was, you look at you, you could be in you, you're a natural podcast host. Is there, <laughs> Is there, Mel, something that um, we didn't get into about your story that you wanted to share or that I interjected in a rude way <laughs> that cut you off from sharing? I just, you know, I, um, hindsight is everything, right? So, um, I wish I could have been I wish I would have heard one of these podcasts mm. uh, when I was going through when I started to spiral when I was not knowing what was happening um, and that I I didn't allow the the shame and the anger and the um, disappointment to rule me to and it, it dictated, that dictated everything um, that was going to happen. And I wish that, um, my hope is that if you are hurting, just know that you're never alone. You're not alone. There are people, there are officers, there are so many people out there that um, either been there um, gone through it, uh, and need to, need you, need to hear your story. To, Just, you know? uh, and I'm not trying to be a naive asshole Bambi, but I really would like to emphasize by asking a very stupid question. Okay. Why does it matter that I feel like I'm not alone? Why is that so important? Because then you end up in a bathroom with your gun in your hand. Just because if no one else feels the way you feel, there's no way to be better. 
it's just There's like no a way dead out. end. It's a dead end. If you, if yeah. you don't have that role model, you can't find it on your own when you're in that place. It's like they, they said to me at the retreat, when you find yourself in the hole, in a hole, what's the first thing you should stop doing? Digging? Yes. And look <laughs> up because there's somebody there to lend you a hand. Mm. Right? So, um, you know, when you're in that hole, the only thing that you can think about is being in that hole. There's no way out. Dude, that's that's such a a harsh but real mental image. Because if you just picture someone digging, where's your focus? Down. Where's your vision? Right? What are you? Where? Where's all your energy going? Mm-hmm. You got no time for what's above you. Because what's your goal? You're just going right. down. Oh my there God. is no above you at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think. Um, I think that's something people can easily forget is the importance of a role model and the importance of someone just to listen, to let people know. And it, it's, it was, again, it, fuck, I suck. It was funny where you were like, uh, again, it was funny. It was amazing to me when you said, not to belittle you about your ignorance or innocence, but when I called them, they got it right away. And I think that can be very undervalued. The fact that you can speak to someone and immediately they get it. They what know. They did, I, I will tell you this real quick. Um, oh, you what they you did might at have the to retreat. be quick. I don't have to be quick. I'm fine with time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what they did at the retreat was they had every single one of us uh, uh, clients go. They asked, you know, they, we told our stories and then they asked questions like, um, nightmares, not sleeping, drinking, anger. Um, and they asked just these, this litany of questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after everybody shared in all the clients shared, they put up this graft and we'd never met each other before. And that we all had the same symptoms, same and it was so enlightening and empowering to see that one, you are not going crazy. Two, you're not the only one because <laughs> you think you're the only one. Nobody's going to get it. Your peers certainly aren't going to get it because they already think you're crazy. And, um, you know, so, and, and, and when they said, we don't call it a disorder. That one little letter from D to I changed my world. Um, it changed, so it changed my mentality, man. Um, I mean, it really, I again, never heard that before, but I really think that's a strong, strong reacronyming need. Yes. You yes. Know? PTSI. Maybe yes. it doesn't sound as good as PTSD, but right. PTSI would just be a beautiful way and an empowering way to call people who have been through a bunch of traumatic shit and just need help to overcome yes. it. Right, right. Okay. So, Well, Mel, I can tell your focus is fading and I want you to have fun with this. I'm yes. going to assume, don't run out on me yet. I'm going to assume 
slap me if I'm wrong, that you do not know how my podcasts end. Am I correct? I have no idea. Only three people have, Mel. I believe, again, you're like the 85th guest. Only three people have. Shout out. Fuck, I can't even remember them. Jeej, Kristen, and Eric are the only three who are ready for this. Okay. Take a little bit of time. Feel no pressure. Have fun okay. with it. Okay. I'm going to ask you. I like, You were like, oh, great. Fun. What is fun? <laughs> it's going to be a personal story of yours that you want to share. Can okay. I please get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best first for last? Uh-huh. Um, don't overthink. I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so out of 85 <laughs> guests, I think 78 have had that exact reply. <laughs> Dude, I build it up so much. Um, no, so when I think of getting to know somebody, what do you do when you get to know someone? You shoot the shit about the first time you, whatever. I'm sure okay. you've sat around, right? So okay. what I think of best for last, like dessert for last, whatever, a really cool way, especially in these that are like very emotional, mm -hmm. is a neat thing to end it on a, Tell us something that was a cool first experience of yours. That'll be going the... to the police Olympics and winning my first gold medal. No, fucking nail. See, you didn't even need me to help you tread water. You nailed it. Tell us about it. First time you oh, went to the police Olympics. I'm, I'm looking up at my, my wall when I used to be a badass. Um, <laughs> and I, I played softball. Um, in the police Olympics for many, many years and have one, two, three, four gold medals and a silver medal. You don't need to brag. Okay. Ah. <laughs> um, tell me about the first one or tell me a cool softball story, man. Like bottom oh. of the ninth type shit, bottom or seventh is seven innings for softball. We, I, I played for a Northern California team and we went undefeated through the entire place Olympics. I, I don't even want to ask your position because I don't want to assume. But we'll, Left what field. You, no. Okay. And where'd you hit in the lineup? I was probably about fifth or sixth. Okay. So respectable. Yeah. I, I was always eighth or ninth. They were hoping oh. I would bunt and then I could just um, – I'm tall and lean, so they were hoping I could like get a little swinging hit or a bunt and then just get my way to first, stay right. out of the way. Right. Describe your game for me. Um, when it I was, was respectable. I was, um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't let anything get past me in the out. I was run, run, catch, dive, jump, however I needed to do somersault to catch it. <laughs> that hardcore. Yeah. I always had, um, my knees, you know, always looked like hamburger because I was sliding everywhere. And how I've had one other guy, I shouldn't say another guy. I've had one other softball player. It's like, this is what I do now. Like in this age of wokeness, I get worried about me offending people with like pronouns I, yeah. of shit. You're not, right? I'll, I'll tell you if you offend me. Yeah, right. No, I can tell. <laughs> I've had one other person on the pod talk to me. He was from New York about competitive softball. And the way he spoke about it, 
it seemed fucking legit, man. Like like people oh, were in there and they were all in on training and they had their bags, their gear, like they fucking knew they were hitting third or they were getting grand slams and all that shit. Oh yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm wondering. How competitive with cops could a police softball league be? Uh police Olympics. I'm sorry, police Olympics. Thank you. Yeah. Don't downgrade it. Oh. Uh, but although I did play um, twice, I played on several leagues uh, outside of the Olympics. But here's the greatest thing about our uh, police Olympics team is we were from all over the state of California. And we came together every year. We never played together. We never practiced together. We never did anything. We only came together during the police Olympics and we went undefeated. How do you get selected for that? You're just a badass in the local rec league or you put your name up or you have like you a couple of things um, for and the good teams. You have to know people and you have to be good. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm, I'm acting like, I don't know how athletes know athletes. Like when you get around people, you just fucking know who can produce. Correct. Yeah. So it was just straight word of mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah she can hit. I was asked, I, I played in, a, I think, a charity team, a charity um, game, and then um, I at, was asked to be on this team, so. And did you play in college at all, or no? I played in high school, and then I went to college, but I broke my back, so. Broke um, your back? Yeah. God. That's okay. That's I, okay. I've overcome it. <laughs> For, clearly. Four gold medals so and one silver. So that was five straight years? Uh, well, that was the years we won. I mean, I played for probably – that's when I finally got to the good team. <laughs> I played other years. All right. And I know we're a little pinched for time. Yeah. Tell me just one – were any of the games close? Were there any dramatic oh, moments? Oh, yeah. There was – I mean – Give there, me something we had, good. Give me a gold yeah, nugget. Yeah, we had – Last game, you know, ninth inning, we're playing LAPD, which was our complete rival. And um, it, it was, we had to, we had to hold them. <laughs> Defensive so, struggle, huh? You guys are in uh, the field. Yeah. And and you're talking about, you're, you're playing four and five games in a row. So you're toast by the, by the gold medal game. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. It, would, it, would it be gender biased to assume that a female softball field is smaller than a male softball field, or is this co-ed? It's, well, I played on co-ed and um, women's, but they're, we play on the same field. Okay. Oh, wow. So typically, yeah. like when you think of a baseball field, softball field, softball field's way smaller if you watch like high school, college, where it's harder to get a hit to the outfield or get a hit in between the bases. Oh, no, no, no. No? No. I love it. Tell me, why am I wrong yeah. about that? Well, you might be right in college, but where we played, we, you know, because we had to share the fields with co-ed and everything, so. It's just open. Yeah. So you're really working. Yes. Mel, all right, man. I was hoping for a little more dramatic story, but I understand I got so much of your time. And I'll tell you a dramatic story. Here's my Thank greatest. You. Thing. Here's my greatest thing in my my life is my wife, my kids, and my grandchildren. We have eight of them. We have eight grandchildren. Oh my gosh. Yes. 
So, and my lovely wife of almost 17 years and our three kids who are amazing. See, you're not, and you're not up with me through all of my ugliness. You're not being dramatic. You're just being sweet. You know how to play the game. You're a <laughs> softball player that knows how to play the game. Mel. I love it. Mel. Bottom of the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking grand slam, man. You just hit that out the park. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Mel, thank you so much for rescheduling because of yes. the sleepover issues. I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. you so much for being vulnerable. Thank you so much for putting up with my um, innocent ignorance, innocent, innocent ignorance, okay. right? And just me asking stupid questions, man. And thank you so much for um, honestly your service and taking the time to make sure your mind is right so that you can take care of your family. Because right. it starts in the home and people can very easily underestimate how important a home is. But if you're right in your home, the people in your home are going to be right. Correct. Correct. Which is beautiful. And I think to me, that's the uh, big thing I'm getting away with is like, you got to make sure people who are serving can come home and be home. They can be a part of it. They can make their households right. Right. And there's no shame in asking for help. hundred percent, hundred percent. And it, it like, Paul George, you brought up basketball. Paul Paul George, I don't know how close you follow. He was having a real shitty series with the Clippers, um, and he's paid a bunch of money. He's in the bubble. And he was like, you know, I had to go see a therapist, and I had to get my mind right. And the dude fucking drops 35 points, and they beat the team they were playing by like 40 points. And it's like yeah. sometimes you just need to feel heard, and sometimes you just need to talk to someone without fear of, judgment repercussions right all that stuff and i think that's a beautiful message that you're sharing because no one wants to be where i was so sad to hear you were man on a fucking on a bathroom floor with a gun like jesus like yeah. no one should ever be in that spot from if you're serving the public right so thank right. you so much for allowing us to get to know you thank you for sharing your story and um i really appreciate your time mel i appreciate you i appreciate you having me on i appreciate it yeah, no problem, Mulaney. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I fucked and, that up. <laughs> Sorry. And I'll send you a message uh, with the um, with the retreat link and all that oh, if you'd like. Dude, yeah, let's put that in the description. This okay. way, if people who listen will absolutely put that in the description. So if people who are listening want to find out more about it and um, yeah. even fucking lobby their politicians. Like, dude, maybe put some support into this kind of thing because it actually helps people. Yeah, you know it, it does. Yeah, it does. It, it's 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 definitely magic, dude. I'd love so. it. All right, thank you, Melanie. I so appreciate right. it. It was great getting to know you, man. Enjoy the uh, rest of your evening. I'm sure we'll talk again. Absolutely, man. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye. On court. And we are doubling back with an exceptionally giggly Mulaney coming back on the pod. Forever. Melanie. Forever for now known as Mulaney. No, it's Melanie, of course. 
Melanie, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for wanting to come back on and thank you for wanting to talk more about um, a really important issue uh, for you and for listeners. I, and I, I always feel clunky with my words, but I wanted to say to gain more of a perspective because you felt like we glossed over or didn't really get to spend enough time on something that was very impactful in your life. Right. And you were and, like, let's, yes. let's get at it again. And that is why we are here. I don't know a better way to transition into it other than thank you for being brave enough to come on and talk about it, to own it and to uh, shed light on what you've been through because it matters. The mental health right. aspect of that matters. And clearly it, um, it matters to you and what you've been through. Right. And I, and I know we, we touched, we, we talked about a lot of stuff and we talked about, um, me losing my job and then having to fight for three years, getting it back. And, and I felt like, um, it needed to be addressed because, um, just this week we lost two more police officers to suicide and, um, holy people shit. think, what was that? No, I was just saying, holy shit. I had no idea two more officers to suicide. Yeah. And so people think that, um, and then of course, you know, well, you might not know, but we just had two officers just point blank ambushed last night in LA. I heard about the clip. They're they're in critical. (laughs) Those are the two officers. They thought someone was approaching on one side that maybe needed help or something. And then they, the suspect opened fires and the two officers are in critical condition. Yes, Which yes, yes. So takes I mean, me, people are, and I'm sorry, I, I really don't mean us. to cut you off. I I just want to emphasize, like, I understand the frustration when dumbasses put a knee on someone for fucking almost nine minutes. Like, I I I, I get the frustration. I really, I it, it's unacceptable. But it seems like there are hundreds of thousands of people that are on an eight to twelve hour shift every fucking day just wanting to make sure the people on their route in in their sector get to fucking on their beat on their beat get to sleep that they feel protected that they know if something goes down they can fucking dial three real simple numbers 911 and they have someone coming to rescue them and when you tell me these things it's it's a terrible shift It really is in public persona because police officers should not, just like if you're arrested, innocent until proven guilty, you would hope officers are presumed innocent of their intentions till proven guilty. And I I I guess that's all I wanted to say. I don't even know if that's where we are. I I, I mean, I used to be like, you'd be proud. Somebody asked you what you did, you know, you're a police officer. You're, you know, now it's you. Can you say that? Can we say that? I'm not sure we can because we're being killed. Right. I was shocked when you, and it was, and again, it's been almost a month, but when you ended the pod wondering about your grandchildren and speaking to them about your profession, like that to me was wow. I like, I've never thought of that as a teacher. Like I've never had right. a second thought of being like, yo, I'm a teacher. Everyone's going to love me. Right. And like to have that apprehension of I've put in this work to be a police officer to protect and serve. And do I even claim that in public or even within my family? 
Right. What a terrible feeling after wanting to protect and serve. Right. And I did with dignity, but it, when, when the eight minutes and 46 seconds happened and that, um, the whole world kind of shifted, um, and then thinking about my grandchildren and, um, being afraid of me, um, because I, I wore a uniform and, you know, my, my daughter, um, was clear that that wasn't the case, but the fact that that kept me up at night. Um, so, but, and, and I, and I wanted to kind of go back to, to, you know, what happened in those minutes is never accepted there. You're not going to find a police officer, a good police officer that wasn't as angry as the whole world. Right. But we have two officers sitting in a patrol car yesterday or the day before um, and are point blank shot and there is no outrage. Um, it's it, it really is weird. It, it, it's odd and it's sad because these are people when again, when shit goes down, you're praying get there as quick as possible to save you to right. get you out of your situation. That is your lifeline. And the fact that they were, and I have not, um, for whatever reasons, I chalk it up to laziness or me being in Delaware, have not read up on what went down other than the headline that I heard on the radio. There was nothing that went down. They were sitting in a patrol car. Right. And like it, it, it should be something outrageous. We've had, I want to say in Delaware, and I, I, I really, I don't, I've noticed this about myself. I tend to overtalk and I really don't mean to overtalk you, but I tend to, my, my intention is to relate and try to make guests comfortable. So in mm-hmm. Delaware, there was an officer, Spicer, a state trooper who was shot on a, I believe it was almost like a simple, you pull someone over, you approach the vehicle you, you think whatever, and I don't remember if it was like something as simple as like a taillight or you're swerving or some su- sort of suspicious activity mm-hmm. and he's fucking gunned down and mm-hmm. he has two kids that are, that don't have a father. And I think that was maybe five or almost 10 years ago, but every year it's such a rare occurrence in Sussex County, Delaware, that it's a moment annually because right. we don't have that. We don't deal with that. And I, I guess I'm saying that to go to your point of two officers being gunned down for sitting in their patrol car for no reason. They're not like engaging in any way. They're literally patrol, like patrolling, maintaining an area and to be shot at should right. be fucking outrageous. Like we don't, you should not do that to law enforcement officers. But the worst part of that is, is these protesters these, I, I don't even know if we can call them protesters, blocked the hospital entrance shouting, I hope they die. Stop. Stop. Yeah. Stop. So, I had not heard that. Yeah. So is that really where we are in the world? Oh my God. But I think we are. But But that's, I mean, that's probably a whole different different story but it's just it's scary out there how do you is that more i have not heard that again we're on two separate coasts so i'm always curious as to how information gets spread especially nowadays just google it 
it's right it's there there's video oh my god that is terrible yeah it's scary how is that not like how have i not seen that on cnn i've been on cnn.com several times since it's happened right that's again like nobody wants to to cover a story where it comes to a police officer being hurt where's the outrage they were doing nothing um but wearing a uniform so um but you know we could talk about that forever um but clearly that did something well I, I, we had gotten in contact prior to this incident as far as Correct. you wanting to come back on. Yes. But it seems because like I think the- we, I, I missed a crucial, you know, we talk about, um, I, I know, I believe we did talk about, um, post-traumatic stress and, oh, and that sure. kind of stuff. Right. And, and yeah, you we were talked going about through it. being an injury and all that. Yes. Uh, and, but I think we glossed over departmental betrayal mm. when you're, I worked for a department for tw- almost 20 years and my department turned their back on me like, it, you know, as fast as they could. Um, and that incident and me fighting for three years to um, get my job back and be fully reinstated with back pay and everything for something that they uh, lied about Um caused me more post-traumatic stress uh if not the most um than any call that i had went on in 20 years and i think it's important to 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 double back on that because post-traumatic stress in officers doesn't always come it doesn't always come from from calls that you've been on it happens within your own department and that caused me to want to give up on myself. That caused me, that was the most of my pain about ending up on the bathroom floor. Um, and it was kind of like being in a domestic violence relationship with your work and no way to get out. And, and I don't know how people will timestamp and you've gone over this. I don't mean to rehash things, but from what I'm remembering of the previous conversation, You've been in several instances where like children's lives are at risk. Am I remembering? Well, children's died in my arms. Exactly. Yes. So there were, and to, to consider the betrayal to me speaks of, and I have a very limited scope being a national guard, going through basic training, battle buddy kind of a thing. Like you don't go anywhere without them. And it seems like military police officers are very similar breed where it's all about who has your back and you're trained on, we have each other's back. We are there for each other. We're family. And to have that taken away at a moment of need is very hard for people who have not been in that position to understand how important that is when you're in the situation of needing co-workers because you're not just co like it's not just a co-worker thing it's not like oh dude we're working eight hours all right man fucking see you tomorrow no like my life's in your hands your life's in my hands every day like i would give my life for uh, in a second yes it it gets for for you you. and for them it gets trained into you in that manner and then to feel that betrayal after putting so much time in is to me why i was 
extremely curious to hear more about how to hear more about the tale of three years of battling for that man. Like that's, that's what almost killed me. Um, you know, I, I, I was struggling like we talked about before, um, leading up to that and asking for help and, um, and all of that stuff. Um, but, and I had already felt like, uh, I was going crazy. Right. So when, when my work told me that they were going to try to fire me, that, that just fed into the line of, oh, I am going crazy, right? Because um, you felt that you deserved to be fired or you couldn't wrap your head around why they would fire you? Yes. I, I No, I knew I didn't do anything wrong. Um, but they have more money and more power than I do, right? It's like fighting the government. Right. For three years, they put me through the ringer um, of of postponing court dates, not showing up for court dates because they can. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the main thing. If, if we have to hold, <laughs> we are law and order. And where the reform comes is, is there really has to be law and order within the department. Uh. And in my case, I won, I got everything back, but the toll from the moment they said, we're going to fire you to the moment I was reinstated took years off of my life. Um, I'm curious why you thought or why it drove you crazy. If you knew you were right. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way, I guess I'm saying that in a I totally get it. Fuck man. Like if you know, you know, it was more because I was in the midst of my post-traumatic stress. I was, I had already been asking for help. I need help. I had went to two child deaths. I went to a three-year-old did CPR on her and she died. I was already struggling with, I had a three-year-old grandchild at the time. And how am I going to save my three-year-old grandchild when I cannot save this three-year-old? I went to a 10-month-old at daycare who died. Uh, I, I watched a gentleman blow his head off in, in a dog run. I, I was in the middle of, of a breakdown and then my department and I, and asking for help. Cause remember my yeah. sergeant was rolling up on me crying Yeah, and I was at the brink, at the brink. And in, instead of reaching a handout and, and offering help and really taking it serious, they just said, boop, there you go. Here's, let's just put your last nail in the coffin. And, and it almost did. <laughs> Is it more, and I, I, I don't know, man, I feel fucked up trying to label it, but I'm trying to, cause I have not been under nearly those sort of stressful circumstances. So when you start battling to get back, is it more the betrayal? Is it more your second guessing yourself? Is it more the machismo, man, I'm just acting like a bitch. I shouldn't be so sensitive kind of a 
thing that's driving you nuts where you see yourself as too weak or is it like I you I, mean as far as my injury for as far as no, the post-traumatic stress no or? as far as like just being like these fuckers are wrong I I like I, I should not be fired I and the reason again I'm asking like it seems with what you're saying so clear-cut you just need some PTSD support dude you need some counseling you don't need to be fired and be isolated which is why I it's weird to me. I shouldn't say weird. It's interesting to me to hear that you felt like that was driving. You I was crazy. so alone. Yeah. So it was just the loneliness I was so of alone. depending on those relationships and being in the department, being with, but those. you have to understand, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that I had post-traumatic stress. I didn't know what was going on. I I didn't know what was going on. Mm. All I knew is I needed help. It wasn't until two and a half years later that I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. Okay. And, and I know that we talked about, I, I believe we talked about the disorder and the injury, correct? Um, in, in the first one, I can't remember. Uh, but it was told to me that, uh, you know, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder, but if, if the world looked at it differently, which oh, yes. yeah, yeah, I'm tr yeah. trying one person at a time, right. To, to call it an injury because yes. it's an accumulative injury. I love the way you said um, that. It was the first time I had actually heard it. It's yes, exactly. Instead of saying distress or a post-traumatic stress disorder, instead of saying disorder, right. it would be like, no, you have a broken arm. And then everyone's like, oh my God, no wonder you're in a cast. That makes sense. Right. And then you can accept, yeah, my arm's broken. I'm here for six weeks. And if you thought of post-traumatic stress injury, you'd be like, oh, so when you're injured, you go to counseling for six months and you feel better. That's how we heal it. Kind of a thing where there's, right. it's just so much more accepted. I, You absolutely made that clear. And you saying that brings that back. And that's a wonderful, to me, a wonderful way to almost destigmatize. Yes. In, it's it. and disorder is something you're born with, right? And yeah. injury is something that occurs on the job. Yeah. From your and, environment. And so your environment causes right. it. Right. And for 20 years, you know, I, I had w one injury, you know, you look at a, you look at a, a in x-ray and you see, yes, you got a broken arm, but with, with post-traumatic stress injury with help, it gets better. You still have a scar. Mm -hmm. You still have you still have the scar and you look at the scar every day, right? But the scar lessens and lessens if you have the right help through the years. But I think where the breakdown is, is, is departments don't want to believe. And it, it's getting a tad bit better now, but they don't want to believe that we are human and that we do have this injury, that the brain does get injured. With help, it can be better. The fear is, is if you say you're having mental health issues, your gun gets taken away. You get put on um, uh, fitness for duty. All of these things, instead of saying, wow, I can see how these events could, could ha make that happen. And here, let's get you some help. If my department, I believe... And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just, but I, I truly believe inside of me had, I, was I given the opportunity for help 
I may still be working. And And sometimes that's a a hard pill for me to swallow. Oh, I bet. Because you're much like most people who get in that kind of work. You're competitive as hell. Like you ain't no fucking punk. (laughs) But I felt like, so, so I felt like I turned into that. I, I became scared. Mm -hmm. I became, I felt like I was incapable of doing my job. And then it looked like that on the outside. Like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And I know now because I have had years of help um, that I couldn't. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I just couldn't anymore. Yeah, it, I mean, it would be like trying to walk with a torn Achilles. Like it, like some something can just rip in your mind as easily as a tendon, and Correct. you're physically unable to continue. And the psyche right. is the exact same way. Um, and then my department says, "Oh, and by the way, um, we know you're asking for help. You know, we've been asking for help, but we don't know how to handle that, so we're going to fire you." Yeah, that's so fucking stupid. Um, I, I've spoken, I actually, um, since we had spoken, I spoke to, and again, not to hijack it, but just to emphasize the mental health part. I spoke to the um, teacher's union president on the podcast, and one of her platforms was trying to enhance mental health in the schools. So picture right. a school of 700 kids with one school counselor who's in charge of the logistics of scheduling plus the mental health. Right. So it's basically That's... a 1400 person caseload because you care about everyone's schedule. You care about everyone's mental health. There's right. 188 days, 1400 fucking kids. Like it, it doesn't work out. So the state's trying to bring people in. And my question to her was like, why is that a teacher thing? Shouldn't that just be a state thing? Like, shouldn't the state right. just fucking add a couple modular trailers outside or a wing in every school? And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We got a bunch of people who enjoy counseling. We're going to pay them 60, 70 grand a year. It's a comfortable living. You're going to go there and you're going to be there and you're going to help try. You're going to be there to help kids when they're feeling this, to help understand why they're feeling it. Why is that not just a couple? I mean, you're looking at maybe a million, $2 million in a state like Delaware. I don't know what California would be. So I bring that up to bring it to your point of I'm fucking shocked that a police department there's not a SO standard operating yeah, SOP of, yo, we need to prepare people when they go through traumatic events that we have individuals there to help them get back to serve. That's amazing right. to me that it's overlooked. And it's now there are up. some departments, there are some departments that have, that have uh, really taken their officers health in a, you know, in account and they have, hired um counselors or or therapists to uh clinicians to be on staff so they're on staff at the police department is that a local funding thing is that like a so it's hard to change of philosophy it's a change of the higher ups it's change of of understanding that we're human no dude 100 (laughs) percent But I guess I've also spoken to people running for county council in Delaware and Delaware is way smaller and it's very hard for me to understand how things get done in California, which I believe has like the sixth largest economy in the world (laughs) compared to Delaware, which is fucking Delaware, right? But like the county council, there are basically five guys that or five people, I'm sorry, there are women on there that are in charge 
of the funding for the county, which is like 12 different towns. So if a firefighting department needed a counselor per town, the county council would vote to say, we're going to allocate those funds. So when you say some departments are, some departments are not, I'm curious as to who are those decision makers, if anyone listening in a voting position can say, oh, you're the motherfucker that wanted to put $1 million towards blank, but didn't want to get health professionals for our police officers. I guess that's what I'm trying to understand in your situation. Yeah. If uh, you know. I don't, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that, but we need more uh, examples of these departments that are taking it seriously and getting help and, uh, and understanding that it's real. What would you, and when you had said you needed more help, what do you now knowing and reflecting back on what you went through, what would have been that more help? Like a half hour of counseling every day, a two weeks off with like an intensive kind of a thing. What would have been the help that you think could have helped you overcome this injury? I guess just the understanding that, um, that I wasn't going crazy because that's really what I thought was happening to me. And, um, if, if, if I would have went to the retreat, um, while I was still working, because some departments pay for their people to go when they go to, through an event or um, or what have you, they are paying their people to go to the retreat. That's beautiful because that gives them the tools, that gives them the understanding they're not alone, that gives them the understanding that this is an injury, that it, that you can heal. Which seems almost like um, impatient, kind of intensive you're going for yes, hours. It's like that's days. your, that's it's, your job. It's inpatient. Yeah. That's yes. your job for that time. And that's very easy for service people to wrap their mind around is cool. This is my job for the next week, yes. for the next two weeks. This is my shift. This right. is my mission. But I told you it was the first time in a long time that I sat in that room full of people that I, strangers that I didn't know and talked about what was going on and nobody gasped. Nobody, um, nobody looked at you funny. Nobody said, oh my goodness. It was, oh, we get it. We we know exactly what you're going through. And that feeling of not being alone was (laughs) life-changing. Life-changing. When you have these big tattooed guys and they're like, yep, I've had those same feelings. Yes, I, I know that. Yes, I've said that. Yes, I felt that. And and I was looking at them like there is no way before I started talking, there is no way you're going to understand this. There's right. no way I'm going to say this and you're going to be. And, and uh, it was just But I'm sure I'm amazing. sure they've been there. I'm sure they've held 10 month olds in their arms and felt those experiences, right? Like they've the, the biggest, strongest men in positions like yours feel like children and helpless because they're unable to control situations that they want to, without a doubt, make the right decision and make people safe. 
and th- there's nothing more demasculating. And I like you even feel weird saying like masculine with it. And I'm not trying to be all gender biased and shit like that. But right, I know. It, it feels super demasculating when you're in a position of I control the situation, I control the environment, I am the authority, and you really have no control. You're fucking helpless. Right. But and but but what people don't understand is we are called to a situation that's already fucked before we even get the call. Yeah. It's so escalated. it's not like we really have some incidents. We don't have control. It, yeah. What is going to occur like the 10 month old at the daycare center that there is nothing. I know now there is nothing I could have done, but, but what happens is we become these, we, we believe that we can fix everything. Yes. We, because that's just the way we're taught, right? Fix it take control, get it done. And when you can't, and you have these failures, um, what, what you consider failures happen again and again, then you start thinking you're a failure. How long did it take you to realize with the 10 month old in particular, because you brought it up to, to understand that you did everything you could? That it was okay that what happened happened. Uh, probably not till I went to the retreat and they put it in such a way that I could understand. Um, because I never got any, there was never any talking about that after that incident. My department never asked me a word, never asked me, hey, That's are amazing. you okay? So never anything, right? It wasn't until I went to the retreat where they put it in a in such a word, in a way that it, not that it made it okay, but, but what I was feeling, the, the feelings of the failure and the feelings of, of I failed my job, I couldn't do it, I couldn't save them. Um, they said, you know, you can't save any, everybody. You do the best you can in the moment. But when that happened, I was already so deep in the rabbit hole that there was, there probably wasn't anybody that was going to tell me anything different. I, yeah. I, I believe that I failed, that, that I was a failure, that I failed that family, that child, and myself that day. Um, because my injury had taken such a hold of me, I wouldn't have believed anything different and why were their words so impactful to you why was going to that retreat and hearing that because it was the first time you had actually felt heard by coworkers. yes by anybody That's by by terrible, uh, by a I, like I, jesus christ i so didn't want you to say yes so quick that is fucking horrible that there's <laughs> not something 
within like the system itself to just help on a more local level to keep people who are serving fucking sane with what they're dealing with in situations like that. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I really didn't mean to cut you off, but I was really hoping that was not going to be a yes question. That's terrible that that's the first time you felt heard, that you can feel heard after such an experience and understood. Yeah, that's exactly, that, that's exactly what it was. God, that's yep. so disheartening. Like, I wasn't afraid either. That's the first time I think in a long, long time where I wasn't afraid of saying what I was feeling. Is that because you were there to, and again, I'm very mission oriented just in my life. I don't know if that's, and I was a fucking national guard guy. I never got really deployed, but I feel that has a lot of, um, impact in my life. I feel like I'm a very mission oriented person. What is my goal? I have respect hierarchies. Who's my superior? Tell me what I need to do. I'm a fucking accomplish it. Who's under me? I'm gonna give them directives. So part of me wants to say is what made it impactful is because you go and you know what your mission is to heal, to express, Mm -hmm. to get that Mm -hmm. shit out, to understand. Is that why it was so meaningful more so than just like a fucking whatever coffee side or water cooler talk where you can't really feel vulnerable in that like quick two, three minutes of passing with a coworker? Right. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It, it was the, the, the feeling. Well, I felt like I could say anything because at that point I didn't have anything to lose. Um, (laughs) Which is always a fear. I mean, right? Like that's a legit fear. Yeah, man. Like no one wants to fucking get like put on a different pro, 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 it's not, I was going to say parole, but then I feel like you just got performance improvement. plan. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like all of a sudden you got to jump through extra hurdles because you say a fucking buzzword that triggers something. And now you're checking someone's like HR checklist off. Like people really worry about that in these kind of positions. Right. Because remember I was on one of those for, remember for all of that. Yeah. Exactly. Again, if, if my department would have addressed the real issue, which was me needing help, then my performance would have improved. Yeah. But instead it was, we are going to drill this. We're going to break you. We're going to drill this in your head. You're failing, you're failing, which then only made my thought because that was my thought. I'm failing. I I can't do anything right. I can't. And then that just drove that. And then any little uh, minute, somebody said something to me and passing became this big Oh, you overanalyzed it like crazy, didn't you? And I was exploding and I was, I was angry as fuck. I bet. Um, Can I say that? You can, you can edit that out. I feel like I've Uh, cursed um, 48 (laughs) times squared more than you Um, i was so angry and when i went to that retreat and i screamed about how angry i was people were like yeah i'm angry too 
Like, oh, yeah, I'm angry. I get it. I'm angry. And I'm just like, wait, you're angry? Wait, you're angry? I can't believe wait. you really didn't think other people weren't feeling the way like you. Not to oh. judge you, but that's – I would think it would just be more common talk, whether it's a locker room, whether you're sharing a patrol shift, whether you're waiting for a fucking superior to, like, catch you up on, like, those pre-shift meetings kind of a thing. <laughs> I would feel that would be more like the side talk where – you it's more have. like, hey, do you know so and so? Do you see what they're doing? Man, they're really screwing up. It there was there's really no I didn't feel or see in my case sincerity of hey, what's really going on? Um and I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have said anything. I would have probably lied about it uh because by that time, like I said, I was so far in the rabbit hole where, um, but if there was sincerity, then, what you know, I can Monday night quarterback it all, all day long. And ultimately, ultimately the post-traumatic stress, um, injury portion of it was probably one of the best things that happened because one, I don't know if I would still be here if I was still working Two, it forced me to re-engage with myself and my family in a human capacity. In a human capacity? Correct. Um, I, I wasn't human for, for almost 20 years. How, I, you're talking about I, when you have to like come home from your shift. Oh, yeah. Come home, um, put on the mask. I'm fine. I had a bad day or my shift was okay. There was really, you couldn't feel, right? Because you can't like feel at work and not feel, you can't feel at home and feel not feel at work. So you just have to turn feelings off. Mm. Some people deal with it by drinking a lot. Some people deal with it by uh, going, you know, divorce, marriage, extramarital. Some people deal with it by, you know, porn or gambling or uh, you you name it um an outlet like everyone needs an outlet correct so it was my 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 go-to was i'm fine i'm fine that's that's what i said did you not have an outlet you just bottled and that's why i'm just thinking of a soda can again like for a very simple analogy, like a picture of 20 ounce soda. And every time you say I'm fine, it just fucking shakes. Right. And it just keeps We shaking. call it like the backpack, right? You go, you go to work, yeah. you put on your backpack, you go to the call, you put it, put that call in your backpack. It's just you go fucking to the call, stone you... after stone, just getting in that thing. And it's the craziest little pebble that makes your backpack explode. Or too heavy to carry. Right. I mean, like, well, you're going to carry that bitch it on 
you know, no legs and nubs. <laughs> so see, that's the competitive, like that's the competitive <laughs> motherfucker in you that I was getting to where it, it really makes me wonder. And again, this is not a judgment thing. This is more like the pragmatic, practical solution thing, because what you just said right there, right, I'm going to carry that bitch on nubs. If you had the option after going through those experiences to talk with someone, would you even be willing to with that kind of mindset or would that be too much weakness? But see, that's the problem. That word right there is the problem. We, and that's what we have to change Ah. in our culture, that asking for help does not equate weakness. Love it. So, uh, and and I, I say these things now because remember I'm several years into my recovery. So I say these things like I'm sound smart, but (laughs) I, these, these were taught to me and, and I probably wouldn't have, uh, I was begging. I needed some sort of something. So they would have said you have to be here at this time to talk to this person i would have i mean we send people who are alcoholics to treatment when they're on the job we send people who get duis to treatment why mm. why is that okay but if i need treatment for my injury or my whatever you want to call injury. it you, no i think that's a great word injury you're right you want to take my gun away. You want to say, oh, I knew she couldn't do that job. Because yeah. you make way better decisions half a pint in to some Jameson <laughs> with a gun on your hip. Yeah, exactly. Or better. to your forehead, right? We, we, we haven't seen that movie or that fucking Netflix series enough to know how that cop winds up. Right, right. Man, that's... So, yeah. do you remember the... the um, Oh gosh, now I'm I'm gonna blank on the. You probably never seen it, but it was a police show, and it was. Don't in, judge me. Was, <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, now it's gonna drive me crazy that I can't remember the name of it. But there is a clip in the in this that we show up at the retreat, and it's the FTO, the old retired guy, and the guy that he trained and he he's calling him the guy's retired he's calling him he's calling him he's calling him and he he's not answering the phone because he's like oh this guy's retired and he's he's crazy and the guy in the clip they show him calling him and he's calling him with the gun in his hand oh wow and so he finally goes and checks on him And he tells him, you know, I almost ate my gun, but he's three sheets to the wind. And he tells him, how did I get here? How did I get here? My wife just died. I couldn't even cry and tell her I loved her. And that is, that was me. I couldn't cry. I couldn't feel. I was the best isolator in a room full of people. Uh, that's so crazy to me, man, because and all those, how did I get there? 
all those other people had to, like your fellow officers had to have had similar experiences. Right. But I gave up, I think, um, again, I know this and now. Not, I'm not trying gave to call up. you wrong in any way or cast No, judgment. no, no. You know, I, like I gave just... up on myself. So I was just doing stupid shit, you know, um, or I wasn't doing anything at all because I, I was feeling afraid or I was scared. I was really, there were some times where I was scared. Scared of what? Scared of going to the next call. How much of you not sharing, and we may have gotten into this a little bit before, but how much of you not sharing is being a female in a predominantly man's world? Or didn't think of that at all? I don't think... um, laid that much into my career. I don't think that that had a, I don't believe that that had anything to do with it It, this this far into my career early on. It did, but, um, and that's what we talked about, but I'm not sure I was really thinking at all. And that was the problem. Yeah. No, it, um, it, I went to work every day. I showed up every day. Um, but should I have been there? No. Should have somebody have said, checked in on me? Should they have done something different when they found me crying in my patrol car instead of saying, get your shit together, I'll go handle this call while you do that? Yes. <laughs> All indicators of something going on. Yeah, no doubt. So the biggest reform that you can think of, if you're running for city council and you're in charge of budgets, right? You're a decision maker. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know now, how are you helping people to not get where you got? Well, you 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 afford them the opportunity to if you're involved in an incident five counseling sessions isn't going to fix you so we have to have unlimited we have to be able to say okay I don't know if we'll ever get here but we should just say okay you guys will pay for it if you want to go once a week great if you want to go twice a month great it's there for you this is who you can call. This is who's on. I think we should have a clinician on staff at every single department. Why would you not? I mean, so just let me ask you this in a similar vein. And I, I know nothing about what a police station, as far as what police officers get to see. I know what a police station looks like for people in cuffs, but I do <laughs> not know what a police station looks like for those who put the cuffs on you. It, I'm assuming there are workout rooms. There are weights, treadmill. Is there some sort of fitness center type thing in most police stations or no? I think they got away from that. Ours had a little gym in it. Okay. But we didn't get paid to go. It wasn't like they said, come in a half an hour before your shift or an hour before your shift if you want to work out. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I'm bringing that up is 
So again, in National Guard, the full-timers there, there were gyms in all of the stations. And three days a week, they had an hour set aside for physical training. They'd go for a jog, you could hit up the gym, but it was expected. You're a professional, you're going to take care of your body because your body matters to your production to the mission. So the reason I ask is, shouldn't we look at our mental well-being as a necessary muscle to work out, which is what you're saying. Just fucking have someone there that you can drop in on if you need to. Right. And I think a lot of departments took away the gyms and stuff because people were getting injured. Oh. Right? And then they would be out. Right? (laughs) So then they would go on workers' comp because if they're getting paid to work out, then that's part of work. Right? Oh, okay. That makes sense. But mental health, yeah. I mean, it should be something different. And and you can't just throw any clinician into a police department. You can't just say, oh, let's grab somebody from Kaiser. They have to be culturally competent Dude, what a in great the work job. that we do. What a great job for someone retired from 20 years, wants to get an extra certification. And now <laughs> you go back and you're a certified cop counselor. For lack and a of a lot of term. a lot a lot that's how our program started that's how the retreat started is some police officers said something needs to change yeah and now they're now they're clinicians dude, dude but, why not why wouldn't you yeah yeah and you have to have culturally competent clinicians you can't go in to talk to somebody which is which happened to me you can't go in to talk to somebody and say oh yeah you know you picked up an eyeball of the guys you know after he shot himself and you put it in the bag and your clinician starts to cry. Now you can't, you have to have somebody who has knowledge of what you do so that they can train, you know, it's, it's very similar. Um, I've been reading dope sick by Beth Macy and I've actually spoken to, it's funny how my social circles work. I've come in contact with several addicts. It's almost like serendipitous, but counselors and addicts and something I've realized, um, especially through the podcast and trying to speak to people, there's a different language. Yes. I cannot reach and understand addicts are not opening up to me because I have not battled through and overcome addiction. And right. when you listen to two addicts speak, it's almost like whatever language, Chinese, Spanish, Portuguese, you, you're, you can maybe get the gist but you're not in, you don't, you, you're, you do not have the vernacular and that's what you're getting at, which would be again, dude, why would you not, whatever, 15, 20 years on patrol, you know what? You've seen enough shit, man. How about now we move you? Why don't you take six months off? Let's train you to be a counselor. And now can you help people go through your shit that you've been through and let's keep people going. Why would that not just be a thing? It well, it's so a lot of sense. hours and a lot of, I mean, it's take, it takes several years, I think, to get your, or at least a year and a half, right? But if it's part of With your job, if that's so like many you. hours. Yeah. I mean, that would be, gosh, that would be in a, in a fantasy world, right? It shouldn't be though. Like it's not, if you look at budgets, you can buy fucking tanks for cops, but you can't <laughs> pay for someone to take some online classes. Right. The fuck? Right. I don't know. We need I mean, to run. We need a platform. Can we <laughs> run in Delaware and in California? <laughs> hey, I think about running for city council all the time, so that's that's not funny. No, dude, you um, should. Why would you not? What's stopping you? Well, I may. 
you know, I may. I have some. I have a buddy that's running for city council right now, and he's like, "Dude, you need to, you need to do it." Dude, that's what I was saying about the so, county councilman. That the county. I've spoken to two county councilmen, and both were men, so I feel comfortable saying men that were running as decision makers, and like they're the budget holders, and their ears are open not only for the votes but for where the funds go, and if people running have that platform and then you have the votes of here is my vision. I want to reform the police. We feel the system is fucked. Here's how it can be unfucked. This is what the money should be going to. That's a very strong voice that I, as a Delawarean, have not heard anyone come forth with to be like, you know what? We're going to take people off the road at 15 years or give them the opportunity to then pursue a secondary degree. You can get them for another 15 years. Now you got a 30 year pension person with 15 years of experience. And hey, we're gonna teach you up on how to keep people on the road in the right mindset. But here's what the departments are gonna say to that. They're gonna be like, well, that's a body we're losing on patrol. No, no, because you're funding. No, because you're funding. When the 15 year vet goes to the college or to get the degree, that's why we have the academy, bitch. Pick another fucking person. You know, keep it up. They're not going to have enough people in the academies. No, but again, that's part of it. The de-escalation training, the mental health aspect, the renewal of law enforcement is a community position like a teacher. Right. Like, and you, I that, feel like, you know, I'm, ba- I'm bagging on a lot of bad, bad, the bad stuff. There are more. I just want to make this clear because I feel like I have to say this. There are more good officers by far than there are bad officers. 100%. And there are departments that are, they are top notch taking care of their people. If, and I don't know what the number of interactions are with officers and civilians, for lack of a better term, on a day to day basis. And not to disrespect or disregard deaths of people who should not be fucking killed. Clearly. Correct. Correct. Murdered. But if you go with the percentage, vast majority of cops doing a great fucking job. Yes. Vast majority. Handling shit. It's not escalating. It's not resulting in these dumbass murder consequence. Like it's, it's good. They're upholding the peace. They're maintaining safety. And that's what I'm getting at. If you're in a position to budget and people are fearful of losing bodies, it's not to me as a layman, it's not a defunding issue. It's a reallocation issue. I don't need to buy body armor. You know what I need to do? I need to get fucking three more mental health experts on there. Maybe I need to get someone off the, maybe there's a tipping point of, you know what? 18 years of seeing shit that people don't see every day and you see it every day, maybe 18 years, we just tell you to stop. And we tell you, man, like fill in some paperwork, be a counselor. Let me let you- you're on Mars, dude. You're on Mars. But it should be that way. Like why do deployments not last for five years for military? How come people who get deployed come back home and then get redeployed? Why do they get a break? Because Because you can't fucking take it for so long. You're not meant to. Right. But cops- but we don't take care of our soldiers either. No, no, but but what I'm saying, 
not to the extent they should be for sure. No. But what I'm saying is there are timelines on deployment, right? When you get deployed, it's a six month deployment with the realization of you can only be in a battle zone for so long. What people tend to forget is cops go out every day and every car they approach, every situation they approach first in their mind is I could fucking die. Right. And, and and more so now, I mean, because people don't believe that they have to even listen to anybody. Yeah, when, you, you get to, you know. but that's what I'm saying. But you don't get a six month deployment as an officer and then you get no, three months home years. with your cop. That, But that's my point. So again, layman's term, you find the fucking tipping point. You're like, you know what, dude, you can do this job maybe for 12 years. And then we just got to figure out how to use your experience on the downside, keep the job, keep the pension, keep the service. Thank you. But I don't know if you need to patrol for 25 years to get where you want to be in a career. Maybe we can readjust it or re refocus your energy. Here's the thing. If you take care of your police officers, if you take care of their mental health, you can have a successful career, I believe. But what is that? Is that right? Like weekly counseling? sessions or what would that be I mean, for you start somewhere <laughs> what do we have to lose yeah right i just i think that's a great platform to be honest with you how many votes would you need to be elected to your city council have you looked it up <laughs> well i think you can you can be appointed um if like for instance where i live there are four I think four open seats right now and because two people are decided that they're going to run for mayor. So if there's not enough people that are running, if there's more seats than the people that are running, they can actually appoint people who want to go, but I'm not there. I'm not there yet. I I think I'll have to wait uh, a little bit, but I have thought about it for the last several years. Why are you not there yet? Fear. I don't know. I, 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 Fear of what? Like I told you, I, I'm I'm learning how to not let fear drive me, and or failure, and just uh, the fact that we're even doing an encore uh, of this. Um, <laughs> I love how you mocked me without mocking me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, is huge. Um, the fact that I talking about stuff that really, I think I've talked about maybe five times ever. Yeah. That's terrible. Um, if you think of the totality of the time span, you need to talk with it to feel like you need to talk about it to feel like it's normal to learn how to process it. Right. But, but if you tell people, for instance, oh yeah, I did my job, and oh by the way, I was fired. Immediately, you you you're bad. You don't. Then you take that second breath, and you're like, yeah, but I got my job back because they messed up. Uh, they don't. It's that immediate. Oh, you must have done something wrong, mm. right? So, um, and, and then you, you me telling you that there, I was afraid. Like I was, I was afraid. And I think that's also why I stopped doing my job 
to their satisfaction. And, and these are all learned things now from being in recovery from my injury that had I had somebody came, had I went to the retreat while I was still working and not all people that go to the retreat, go back to work. It's not a go. It's not a get back to work program. It's a get back to life program because I stopped living. I stopped doing everything for myself, for anybody in my world. I was angry. I was on the floor with a gun in my hand. I was angry. Did I mention that? (laughs) Um, And so just because I went to the retreat doesn't mean that just because everybody goes to the retreat doesn't mean they're going to go back to work. Yeah. You're going to be a body in a patrol car based on going there. But it gives you the platform to make an informed decision for yourself before somebody makes it for you. And I, I want to say I'm almost positive and forgive me that I'm this many guests in, but Christy is the, the firefighter Christy, I think. Firefighter deconstructive. I just did a podcast with her. 50, I believe she was guest 59. And she says the person inside the uniform or the person behind the uniform, she has a way better slogan, but so brave about the mental health aspects of people who serve. And I think you just brought up a great point and I was hoping you would speak to it a little more because it has to be scary for an administrator. And if I'm just a logistical dickhead, pencil pusher, typical stereotypical guy, right? Like, or person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but I need 38 patrol cars and I have to have 38 <laughs> officers on top. And, but if you go to the retreat, I don't have any substitutes. And you're like, well, the point of my mental well being should not be to get me back in uniform. I've given up my life to take in that uniform. People who take the uniform on, for the most part, give up their lives. They're they're serving. Right. And in return for that service, when they go through some fucked up shit, the focus should not be on getting you back in the uniform. It should be getting you back to your life, like you had just said. So I'm I'm, I'm just, I would like to know a little more because I loved how you said, I just stopped living. Not that you had to go through it. I don't love that you had to go through it, but I love that you're speaking on that. And I would like to know if you can a little more about how you could have been helped to get back to living, not even fuck the career, just get back to functioning. Um, without the fear of losing my job, See, that's what I'm saying. See, that's what I'm saying. I hate that. I hate the fact that you have to go somewhere to talk through these issues and you still worry about, you have to worry about. I feel like most people who go there would worry about what can I say and keep my job? I want the focus to be like, like you said, dude, I don't want you in your bathroom with a fucking gun thinking about ending your life. Like, and I told you this on the first time. I I told you this first time. I don't want anybody to end up like that should be the priority. Like that should be the, the mentality. If you have to go to a retreat, it's it's not Mulaney that I want you 
to get back with a badge where people are being like, what's your name, Melanie or Melanie? No, I don't want that. I want your focus to be, you can go home and you can look at your spouse. You can look at your children, your grandchildren and enjoy them and hug them and be in the moment and live like most ordinary people do. That's what I want the focus of the retreat to be. And that's what I'm curious insight wise. Is there what shifts, if you can think of any, should or can happen to help people feel okay with, dude, that, that's a fucking eyeball in a bag, 10-month-old dying. I, I, I need time, and it's okay that I need time so that I can be a person. Well, I think it starts with the administrators. I honestly think it starts with, with the administrators giving you permission to say you're not okay instead of the fear of a fitness for duty or or losing your job if we it, we have to train our higher ups it, and and most of the time they come from bottom right you would think so, right like don't they move up the ranks so they've yeah, been through what so you've been through then why don't I they understand they're so messed up too <laughs> Um, and like I said, not all departments are like my department. Um, but, and some departments have really taken care and are starting to take care of their officers. So I'm not here to bash all of that. I'm here to tell you that what happened to me and my story and my circumstance had my department looked at what was happening, where, how I was and what I had become, that should have been a clue. I think they should have treated what was going on with me differently as opposed to try to find some way to lie about getting me out. Is that because it's a numbers game to simplify? Like they just need 22 bodies a shift and they don't have time to deal with your bullshit. I just need someone in a fucking car rolling through these streets. Is oh, they that... had me in a car rolling through the streets. Yeah, but then I, I, I was it... showing up every day. Right. But then why is it not? Why is it so hard? Because. I truly don't believe that they thought that that post-traumatic stress was an issue or, or a thing. I think they think it's a, a way to, oh, you just want days, days off or you just want you know, time on the beach or you want this or that. I think if they really look at the, the totality of how has that person changed to and really really given put put aside how you might feel about somebody because we look we all don't like each other that's okay but the i'm still going to show up whether i like you or not when we start, if we start 
treating each other like humans, allowing us to be human, paying attention to your troops, and getting them help when they ask for it. I shouldn't have to beg for help. And I was begging for help, and I didn't get it. To me, I'm assuming you're asking for help from superiors that probably do not have mental health degrees, background, certification. Just get me help. That's just, I need, I need help. But what I'm thinking is, was there an avenue other than a superior? Was there a counselor you could go to that could then advocate for you to the superior? Oh, no. Yeah. No. See, that, that that right there is a fatal flaw to me. I'm a fucking yeah. basic storyteller. I mean, I could go to counseling myself, but... But it's not it, in the department. And they're, they they have no power. They have no leeway. They, they have no board. You would want, like, someone in a fucking meeting room to be like, you know what? I've, I've, I've spoken to Melanie. This is what I feel she needs. And then that person, the boss, and then some decision maker, if a triangle is the visual are like speaking about the decision to be made, but it doesn't seem like that's even an outlet. Well, you can go to a counselor and they can put you off work. I mean, you can, your, your therapist can, can put you off of work. Okay. I didn't know that. Yes, they can. But, and, and it's not like they can get into a room and talk about you because of, of uh, HIPAA and all that stuff. Right. There's so many, there's so it's protected and all of that, but they can put you off of work if you go to them. A lot of us don't think we need counseling until it's too late. So I think if we start early on, if we start in the academy, if we train our newbies to understand that taking care of your mental health it's yeah. no different than working out every day. It should be. It's right. physical fitness, mental fitness. Correct. And if we have a platform where we say you have to work out or you have to do this, we should allow, we, we should also have a platform like we have talked about. If I wanted to go once a week, it should be paid for. If I wanted to go every day, yeah. No doubt. It's, it's but, amazing but we, that we it's don't not. have enough we don't have enough culturally competent therapists to feel the load, I believe, of us. So Dude, it's fucking amazing that there's not. And you think about all the taxes you pay and all the shit that gets bought, and you're like, we can't spend tax money on people getting jobs that are solid office jobs <laughs> to help communities be better. Who is not voting for that? Right. Especially if you think of reform and especially if those sessions, if people had to even reflect on interactions with people they pulled over, how much de-escalation training could be involved in things like that to make cops better, right? Like if you just had that Avenue at the bare minimum, it, It seems like a no-brainer, and honestly, it seems like the platform you need to run for city council on. 
maybe someday. But but you have to understand, being in a uniform is a fluid situation. You're you're not gonna. We need we need body armor and we need tanks and we need guns and we need mental health. Right. We I don't think we take away from one to get the other. We have to just understand that it's all needed and it's all needed in a different, it, it's all needed for different skills, for different situations. Correct. Cause when shit so, goes down, you want to make sure you're ready. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and I know we're talking a lot about, there are people that have lit, that go their entire career, 30, 30 years and are just fine. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. They may not be just fine, but they pretend like they're just fine. Um, but not everybody is going to get post-traumatic stress. Not everybody is going to react to a certain situation like I would react what bugs me or bothers me isn't going to bother you. It's when we start, in my case, um, um, personalizing it. That's the word I was looking for. We personalize it. Like the three-year-old, my granddaughter was three at the time. Oh shit. Okay. Um, it's those kind of things that then, then I felt like I went down the hill faster. And that's where you needed the help to talk through it. Right. Just because that situation, that three-year-old, there was nothing I could have done. That doesn't mean that I can't save my own granddaughter. And that was the meaning behind what I was thinking. Jesus. Do, and it, I don't know if it's an oversimplification because of the times, but we're able to construct a COVID checklist of here are 12 symptoms. If you have two, stay the fuck home, go get a test. <laughs> you would think after an incident, that you went through, there would be some sort of mental health scientifically backed checklist where, Hey, if you hit two or three of these, you need to go talk with someone, man. Cause you got to get your mind right. Right. And, uh, and I shouldn't be, a sh uh, and I, I guess there's a lot of shaming too. Like, man, what, why is that call? You know, why was that that same call? It didn't mess with me. Why is it messing with you? What? Well, that person, no. That that's stupid. There absolutely should be no shame involved with that. Right. Right. And, and like I said, that person oh might God. not have any grandchildren yeah. or might not have a daughter that's three at the time. So that's something that, again, the person within the uniform, you don't know what they're connecting to. God, that's, I don't even think I considered it. You don't know what they're connecting, connecting the situation they're walking into with their own life. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, it, yes. I, I, I did find in my career, 
but when I started personalizing the situations is when I felt that my injury really took a hold of me and just ran without reins. I bet. I felt like I was a, uh, on a bucking horse and I couldn't, I could not, th- th- this eight second ride went on for two years. Ken, and I don't think I asked before, but since we're talking about personalizing situations, was a personalizing of the situation, is that what got you to the suicidal state? I think it was just a culmination of of things. What got me there was... One, my department had given up on me. They have fired me for without cause, ultimately. And that also made me feel like, well, I must be going crazy because here it just that just solidified everything that I was feeling and going through that was the icing on the cake for me. It's like, now I don't have a job. Now I don't have a paycheck. Now I have all of that shame and I've let everybody down. Um, how, how, like, I was so proud that you wear a uniform and now I had no clue what was, what was going to happen. And being there, I just wanted the pain to go away. I just wanted, I didn't, I didn't have a diagnosis, so I didn't know what was going on. Right. I just needed the voices to stop in my head. I think, well, I think that gets to something we were talking about earlier, where if you look at a police officer, they want to serve. And it's such a part of their identity. And for you to have that taking away from you, the the gravitross of that being taken away from you is life shattering. Right. And, I had only ever been a cop. I didn't, I didn't right. know how to, I still don't know how to do anything. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm trying to learn, <laughs> but it's hard. Right? It's hard. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's what you get up, like if that's your career and that's what you're good at and that's what you excel in and like, it, it is hard to pivot. It absolutely is. But the thing I'm thinking is like, I think that gets overlooked when people look at cops, like the majority of cops, I feel, feel the same way you do about their badge, their uniform, their identity. It's a it's huge wrapped up. Part. It's everything. It's a huge part of them. It like yep. they don't get to turn it off. That is what they are like officer, right? It's right. not like miss. It's not like doctor. It's officer. And that's the precursor. That's the suffix that they get spoken that that gets used when they get spoken to. And it So it you're a teacher, right? In. I am. Hopefully okay. tomorrow. So hopefully when, we'll find when out. When you when <laughs> you are in a restaurant and you hear a child struggling to read the the menu 
do you run do you run up and say here let me teach you how to and pump uh, some CPR into their vocabulary and phonetics. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. But so Dude, no. you you get to go to supper and enjoy your supper. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the next table teaching. When when we go to supper or I go went to supper, I had my back facing. I mean I, I had to sit with my back so I could see the entire restaurant. I couldn't really enjoy who I was at supper with because you have to take everything in consideration. So you're never, you're off duty, but you're never really off duty because if something happens, guess who's going to be the first one to jump up? You got to respond. Okay. So I, I didn't know and I still, like I said, I'm several years down the road here and I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Um, but I will tell you that this version of me today is a way better version than I had been for almost 20 years. Just from the counseling reflection are you letting go of the responsibility of the situations you found yourself in or what got you there? The, 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 those scenes and those, I can go back when we, when we're talking about this, I'm, it's like, I'm there. I'm in that room. No, dude, I can see it. And people listening won't be able to see it, but the way your eyes are like, you can see you just fucking analyzing, breaking down, seeing the scene. You really can. Yeah. And so those are always going to be with me. The nightmares, the, the, that, that kind of stuff is is lessened with medication or, um, I do a lot of, I just do, I do a lot of therapy. I'm in a lot of different, um, PTSD groups, um, like I said, I go back to the retreat. So I have to, it's like, uh, your ACL. If you have your ACL replacing, you don't do physical therapy. You're never going to walk correctly. Right. If I let up on my, the minute I think I got this, yeah. I don't, I don't need that anymore. Then I find myself slipping. So I have to stay so diligent because people don't know what my triggers are. Only I know what my triggers are. So I can be in a room and somebody can drop something and it's going to send me, it's, it's going to scare the crap out of me. It's going to, we, we, we may have to leave if my wife and I are out to, to supper and, and I get triggered to that point we may have to leave and she's she's good now she's like she checks on me are you okay do we need to leave early on in my recovery yes it would i could not um i could not get myself back right so we left i'm able now this far into my recovery where I can get triggered. We can be walking down a sidewalk and this happened. We'd be walking down a sidewalk and a balloon popped. Oh shit. Without me hearing it or without me seeing it. Yeah. And it stops me in my tracks. 
And my wife will say, okay, if that was a balloon, are you okay? I, I'm able to take a deep breath, understand where I am faster, understand that it was a balloon, and then be able to, to, to move on to what we were actually going to do. That's amazing. Just um, to have to fight to understand where I am and it was a balloon. Right. Like or a wine people, cork or no, something. Yeah, but, what, 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 yeah. Whatever it is. But again, like I feel like a lot of people would take that for granted. Like you get startled, someone jumps out and says, boo. And you're like, oh, dumbass, oh. you scared me. Right? But yeah. that's something I feel the majority of people would take for granted, the, be able, the ability to be able to reorient and get back to the moment where people who have gone through what you've gone through, it's a real struggle and you actually need skills and help to be able to get back to the moment and be like, Oh shit, we're just going for ice cream. That's right. I wanted strawberry with rainbow sprinkles. (laughs) Exactly. And the fact that I can do that now within, within a few minutes is priceless for me. I bet. I fucking bet. Priceless. Just sanity. God, what else do you have if not your health? Right? Like, Oh my goodness. Sanity. Yes. And, and I can, I can enjoy people and I can actually be present and, and laugh and mean it. Um, because anybody, anybody that's met me, they'll say, Oh my goodness, she's the friendliest person on the world. And, and yes, I can smile and I can, I can, I was the best pretender in the world the best isolator in a room full of people but people thought I was friendly (laughs) right when I went around people I didn't go around people for a very long time (laughs) so that was part of my recovery you know just get get in back to living get back to being with people get back to enjoying your grandkids and your kids and, and trusting an environment. Right. And just like any person who needs to make amends, I, I, I was not a very nice person through throughout before knowing why I wasn't a nice person. And then learning why I wasn't a nice person after my diagnosis but I'll tell you, when that doctor said to me, you have post-traumatic stress, I felt like I could have gotten up and squeezed him so hard out of joy. Finally, I had a, I had a word. I had something tangible that I, that was, oh, wait, post-traumatic stress. I wanted to jump for joy right? because it was something that was a reason why I was doing what I was doing. Didn't make it right. And feeling what I was feeling. Does that, that make sense? Oh dude, hundred percent. I actually um, spoke to a 
outward schizophrenic the other night schizophrenic.nyc it hasn't posted yet but she's in college she slits her wrist because the voices told her she needed to hurt herself someone sees bleeding cops get called she's embarrassed she's still trying to understand why she's doing this to herself when does her healing start when she meets someone who can help her understand here is the label the title here is the game plan and it right. grounds you it allows you a starting point it allows you a reference point it allows you to associate with other people and find empathy where yes. if not you don't know how to describe like how would you describe vanilla and chocolate if you weren't told chocolate is chocolate right have this well what is it ah it's dark sweet uh Sure. And you're like, yeah, right. Like, what do you do? But then if you're like, if you say the word chocolate, you're like, oh shit. Okay. I know what that's about. And people can go with it. And the more I talk to people who have dealt with and overcome and are dealing with not only mental health, but anything is like, it's empowering to know what it is. It's so yes. fearful to not know the it. Because you think I told you, I, for I thought I was going crazy. Yeah. I, I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares. I was afraid. I was checking the doors. I was panicked. Yeah. The the sink, the, the kitchen sink became I we laugh about this now, thank goodness. But the kitchen sink, I became so obsessed with watermarks on the kitchen sink. Really? If, if my wife turned on the spigot and didn't wash out the wipe out the sink i it it sent me because i i could see that there was water spots on that sink and that was going to leave a stain and i couldn't that's the, i could figure that out i could did had no clue what was happening in my brain so i would find silly shit like that to be like Get those watermarks out of the sink. They hurt my head. Control. <laughs> control. All yes. about controlling a situation. Fixing it. I was so... I, Solving it. Yeah. And I told you, I my, my toolbox was so... My, my wife would come home and say, like, Oh, well, you haven't showered in a few days, but look at that screwdriver drawer. Everything is in its place. <laughs> because I could take them out and I could place them very lined up and yeah, neat. And see. that's the only thing that I could do that day. God. That so should not be. That so and then should not be. Somebody said to me, you have post-traumatic stress. And it was like the world was lifted off of my shoulders. And then I was like, well, what do I need to do? I will do, I'll go wherever I, I tell me, tell me how I can fix this now. <laughs> right. I bet. I bet. Cause now again, now I have my starting point, right? Yes. Now, well, all right, well, cool. If that's the starting point, what's the goal? Yes. And now, you know, you now you know what direction. Imagine if you didn't know to go North, South, East or West. 
or northeast or southeast or westeast or 130 degrees or 170 degrees or 40 degrees or 360 degrees, right? Like imagine being in the center of the fucking desert and you have no idea 360 right. degrees and we could keep parsing it down to 360.1, right? If you wanted to. Right, right. But when you get that, you get a direction. And when right. people get direction for whatever reason is within a person, if you get a direction, you feel purposeful, you feel empowered, you feel in control. And now, cause we're a community, we post shit, doctors study shit. We know, and we feel comfort in like, all right, I got away. I got away. Here's my path. Even if right. it's crooked, right? Even if it's crooked, might not be straight, might not be 90 degrees the whole time. I got a path. Right. And it wasn't like they said to me, you have to change this and you have to change this now. What they told me was one degree at a time, change it one degree. Because if you change a ship course by one degree, it's going to end up someplace else. And just that one degree of change every day turned me into who I am now. Oh, and anyone who's fired a weapon knows the same thing. Yeah. Like you fire a weapon and you're one degree off. You're one. And I forget what it was in the military that they say, but you aim one off. They do the whole like cylinder cone thing where it just keeps spreading and spreading. And that's why your shot pattern's so off, you know? Right. It, it, I mean, it's the ship's a great analogy as well. It's the slightest difference over time makes all the difference makes all the difference such a different destination that you arrive at yes and and so i just started changing something one degree right one degree okay and then then i started telling talking to people that i knew that or and and some people that I didn't know, I started becoming less ashamed of my story. I started becoming less fearful because I figured if I can tell my story and help one person or to let them know they're not alone or they're, they're what they're feeling is is okay is okay to embrace it's okay to process it's okay to deal with it's okay to express it's okay to trust other people are not gonna call you some punk ass bitch for feeling that way and to be like that's fucked up man come here and maybe you get a hug maybe you get some empathy (laughs) right right that's that's what we're lacking is empathy dude hundred percent but we're lacking that throughout the entire world right now. Um, I just. No, I, I, I think that's, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I think that's why you were adamant of being like, dude, I want to come back on and just talk a little more to make sure people understand if you're in a position similar to mine, fight to find comfort, fight to yes. be heard. Fight to find help. Advocate for yourself because you feeling this way, a lot of people feel it 
but not a lot of people are willing to express it. And if you do not, you're going to go to some terrible fucking places that you don't want to go to. Trust me, you don't want to be there. Uh, and I also wanted to come back on and, and say that there there's this, sometimes there's this feeling amongst first responders that, well, I didn't have that one big event. I wasn't, I wasn't in a, in a shooting or I wasn't, I didn't hold my partner, you know, when they they passed away or, or you know, something so big that somebody categorizes as a huge event. Yeah. The climax in a movie. Yes. It, you don't you don't have to have that big event drip, to drip, drip, have drip, drip. post-traumatic stress. 100%. Most PTSD is not one big event, I think. I believe it's the culmination of many small events where you don't get that release and you don't get that Well, relief. they could be one. People with one event and have post-traumatic stress are probably easier to treat because they only have that one event, correct? Mm. And then they can, yes, this is what's bugging me. But in in my case, it's like you sit down and you start writing a book of, and then you, once you start talking about it, then you think about, and I said this to Christy um, this week when I did her podcast, I, I talked about an event. And real quick, I, I will tell you just you because be I, I told it, told it, huh? I said, you don't have to be real quick. Oh, it's fine. Okay. You're I fine. told her that's the first time I had talked about it publicly. And I think, I think it was really the start of, of when I started noticing something about me and I had went to this call. It was Thanksgiving morning and I was you know, you're like, okay, come on, like, you gotta get off the, it's almost time. It's, I was excited because I was going to take my son to go feed the homeless. And it was our first time we were going to go do this. And I was so excited to get off work and just get home and pick him up. And he was excited. And, and um, right. I, I think two hours before the end of shift, I get a call, somebody saying that they thought that there was a mannequin in the road. And so I got dispatched to it. And it was the first time that I was afraid that I was, I was truly fearful. And I drove by the street because I didn't, I was afraid to go down the street. Thinking it's and a real body. I, yes. Pro, now, I was just, it was out in the middle of nowhere. It was pitch black. I've never been afraid. I, I, I mean, come on. And I was afraid. Ultimately, I ended up going down the road and it ended up being uh, a woman who had been beaten to death. Very unrecognizable. And then I found out I knew that person. Oh my God. So I could, I I found that afterwards, like several days afterwards, after they did autopsy and all of that stuff. And it felt, and, 
and I only knew her just from being in the jail. She had been in the jail. She was an inmate. Um, but she, you know, she always, it, it's just this crazy. She talked to me, she was getting her life together, all of these things, you know? And, and then when I found out that that's who that was and what I had seen out there, I, 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 I struggled. So, but that was the first time I came home that morning. Obviously I didn't make it home on time. And I came home that morning and my wife was getting uh, Thanksgiving together. And I, and I, I never talked to her before this ever. She would ask me how, what, what was going on at work. I never shared anything. And I remember that was the first time I ever broke down and told her how ashamed I was that I couldn't drive down that road when I, when I had first got there and I, I, how I just couldn't believe that I was scared. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she, she comforted me and, and thanked me for, I didn't tell her all of the details, but at least I told her some, what was really going on with me. And she thanked me for sharing with her. And, but I remember sitting there at that Thanksgiving, trying to, trying to sit there, um, and just beating my own ass for, for being one scared two. I felt like such a coward and, and three, well, I don't even know what three is, but two, one and two beat my ass. That's enough. That's enough yeah. of the beating. Um, <laughs> Do you remember what exactly when you got the call, why the fear? I think it was the way it was dispatched. It was like, it, I, I, I knew that it wasn't going to be a mannequin. It was in an area where we have found bodies dumped before. Um, and just the way the caller said it, and it was, I guess the, I knew that it was out in the middle of the fields. I knew it was going to be, I just didn't want it to be, I guess. Yeah. And just the caller didn't stay so there was nobody out there they just drove by on their way and said oh you know what we you know we found the think they passed a mannequin in the road um so and i don't i don't know why i i i don't really understand but the hair on the back of my neck you get a feeling. Right? I got a feeling. And then when I got there, I, I, I just remember being afraid. That's what I remember. I remember being afraid to drive down that road and find what I was about to find. And I think that that really tell, told, that told me now that that was really the start of where I needed help. If was, I was starting to unravel. 
Was that your first experience finding or identifying no. a dead body? Gosh, no. Oh my God. So, and this may be a completely ignorant, stupid question. Is there a number on how much death you have dealt with? Oh. When you said that, it was like this ticker tape that just played. It it was like somebody just took that film and just was like, click, 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 click. Um, I don't know what the number would be. Too many. Yeah, right. Um, And you you don't have to put it on a number. I was just curious because you've given, I, I thought the examples you had given would be the end and you had not given the mannequin example. And then when I asked, Hey, is that the first you were like, Oh God, no. And the expression is to me is, is enlightening to what, again, law enforcement officers have to deal with that people maybe overlook is it's super fucking uncomfortable to deal with death. (laughs) I've only dealt with death once. I had to sit in front of a dead body. My stepfather passed away Christmas morning. He knocked on his mother's door and dropped fucking dead. And I had to go there with my mom, his mother, and I'm sitting in a hospital. And it's the first time I've been around a dead body. And I I, I know the guy, right? Like we, I I saw him last night. (laughs) We were fucking pouring gravy on, you know, food. And to see him in that way for hours just to be around it. it and fucking, that's a, it that's a me. clinical way. That's a clinical, like you, yes. you know, that's a clean environment. Yes. You're not, yes. you're not sitting out in the middle of a field yes. in a dark road 100%. where, hundred percent, you know, or at a traffic accident where there's children involved that have been killed, yes. been ejected, been, you know, people hanging from trees um you know just people i told you this people are cruel to people and what people can do to people and what people do to people uh and then accidents of course yeah but 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 it's the only thing i can try to it's the only thing i can not harken back to it, it. It's the only thing I can reference in order to try to understand the mental toll that that would take. I don't know what that would do to me if that was like, yeah, man, a week and a half, it's going to happen again. And then you know what? You're going to wake up on Monday, may happen, may not. Hey, right. Wednesday, may happen, may not. Thursday, may happen, may not. Friday, guess what, motherfucker? two, three times just because the universe is against you. And I I don't know what that would do to me. And that's why I was asking for some sort of reference point, not like a number matters, but to get an understanding of how often an individual would have to process the emotions that go with seeing another person. Well, but you have to also remember that it's not also about the death. It's about the child abuse. Right? It's about God, the, that's so true. It's, it's about the elder abuse. It's about the, the rapes and the, uh, 
you know, Jesus. it's not always about death. Yeah. It's about traumatic. You're, you're not, I am not being called to an ice cream parlor. Yeah. You know, because somebody wants to give me a double scoop of chocolate chip cookie dough. Um, although I would take it. Um, typical cop. You typical cop. <laughs> give me a maple bar any day of the week. <laughs> um that's such a good point though you're so right and i didn't mean to minimize it in any or i guess oh you're not it but that that's a great point because it's almost like every call is a traumatic call right or or you could get called to take somebody's cat out of the tree i don't know yeah um you know i i it every day wasn't horrific so I don't want to paint that picture, but when, when something horrific did happen, there wasn't an avenue to deal with, yeah. to deal with it. And when, when something good, I, I can't remember right the second of something good that happened, which is unfortunate, no, well, but I'm trying, I'm trying to, I, I'm sitting here like, okay, think about think about the good think about the good it, it, it's i honestly it's been scientifically proven again from what i've read the negativity it's part of why um have you seen the facebook jesus christ we're at almost two hours at this point this is amazing um <laughs> have you seen part of the facebook strategy of why posts that you disagree with come up in your feed or whatever versus posts you like the human mind gets off on disagreement and anger. Oh. It triggers something that people actually seek more so than joy and happiness. It's completely fucked up for what Hence you Hence why think. we are where we are today. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where if you have a job like yours, and teachers even go through this, man. Like, dude, I, I teach a hundred... 110 kids a year. I remember the asshole, right? Like you remember the kid that just gives you all the issues. You don't remember the 45 kids that are pleasant, who have learned, who have given you gifts, who have flourished. You don't relish in that. You, you, something about the human psyche goes to and focuses on the negative for whatever reason. And it, it, it's an odd thing when you think about it because most people seek joy in their lives. They don't seek pain and suffering. But right. what do you remember? What stands out the most? Pain and suffering, discomfort. Right. And that's what gets you. And it, it's a weird contradiction. I, I, It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. I did. Ha I did. So I, I'm sitting here and I was like, well, should I say this or not? But might as well. I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. But nobody's listening I, at this point. <laughs> I met I met an older woman at a donut shop. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and she it. was probably, what, 80, 80, 84-ish maybe when I met her. A young 81. Go ahead. And she <laughs> never driven a day in her life. And she would walk the mile and a half or two mile, a mile and a half to the donut shop and then walk home in the morning every her. day. Go get it. So then I started sitting down with her and having a cup of coffee with her in the morning. And then it morphed into, hey, do you want me to give you a ride home? And she thought that was the greatest thing ever, that I would give her a ride home in my patrol car. 
Well, then she, then it turned into I had lunch with her every day. Wow. Some days, well, I packed my, I didn't pack my lunch. My wife packed my lunch for me every day. <laughs> um, and I would go and have lunch with her. And then she would say, hey, don't, she was German. So she, oh, Melanie, don't, don't bring your lunch tomorrow. I'll be making you your favorite. And she would make me sauerkraut and, um, I uh, think bangers and, you know, and she'd make mashed potatoes and I would sit and have lunch with her and she would make it. It was the greatest thing ever. I'm retired and I still go see her. Oh, no way. Yes. So that, the joy in her face when she would see me pull into her driveway. Yeah. The joy in her daughter's voice when her daughter would call me and tell me how much joy her mom had. Right. The stories when I would go pick her up on my day off and we would go have lunch and she would tell everybody that I'm her personal police officer. <laughs> so, so it wasn't always bad that right. I have to take myself back to that. Yeah, man. Um, and, and, when I talk to her, she's 90, 96, 97 God. right now. And I still go see her. So she is, she brought me a lot of joy on my beat. You need it, man. You need to get refreshed in a job like yeah. that. Thank God for women like her or people like her, right? Like it was so she, simple. She's never yeah. driven a day in her life, but she just thought, just having her own personal, you know, right. personal police and listening to her talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right. No doubt. Yeah. Now, um, but, did we, I don't know, did we get into what you wanted to get into? Because I feel like I steered the conversation and I don't think, I'm not sure if I let you get into what you initially wanted to get into with this. I did. I wanted to talk about Department of Betrayal. And I wanted to talk about, um, I want to talk about taking care of yourself mentally. Oh yeah. We got into that. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about, um, that you don't need to have the, the big incident to have post-traumatic stress. And I think that's, I really just wanted to address, I felt like we, I left it hanging the last time and I wanted just to address the, the betrayal that what kind of scar that that can leave and how we could do better. Need to do better. Yeah. Need to. That's why we need people like you on the city council. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being serious, man. Like you should. So like in Delaware, it's fucked up. I'm a numbers guy. It's like, Fuck man, what was it? Yeah, I think it was eleven thousand votes. We have a state of one million. I believe we have a quarter of a million people in our county. Eleven thousand votes, man. It was like five percent of the vote of all the people got a guy elected that puts money where it's gonna go for four years. Right. Well, like, I have like I said, I have a buddy. Think about that, man. I mean, like, think about that. So it's it's one of those things where people who go through things with the right intentions 
should be in a position to listen and to allocate funds and to be open-minded. Right. Um, and I, I think that's something where you don't want people who are like, you know what? I'm getting on council because I want to be mayor in five years. Like those people don't do well. You want people right. on council who want to be around to see the changes that they advocate for. Right. Or or I'm going to run for mayor just because I don't like that guy that's running. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. man. No, right. it's, I, I think it's something that people, the more people I talk to who go through things and who are intelligent enough to recognize, reflect on, and then think of what would be a good change, they need to be in positions of, if not power, at least in the ears of positions of people in positions of those powers. Well, I, I've been talking, I, I, I've been talking more and more and sharing. And so that's, it's one step, you know, as long as we keep sharing and you keep doing these amazing podcasts and you allow us to have a platform to talk that's how we spread change. Right. One degree, man. One degree. Yep. One, One degree. degree. That's absolutely correct. Nope. Man, that's – um. well, thank you. Thank you, Mel, for um yeah. coming back on, for taking time. I had – I thought this was going to be like 20 minutes. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, shit. I'll be able to get some – I'm so happy. And I'm not saying that like in anger or anything because I love in-depth conversations. I really do. And I'm so glad we are able to – um get into it. Um, just the, the drip. Uh, I think the thing I'll take away is the drip, drip, drip and how that needs to be addressed with, um, especially with people who are serving. Cause I think right now, especially it's super important to understand the vast majority of people who are serving and protecting are not out there to be assholes. They're out there to your, your example right there. Who are you going to fucking call if you feel, if you don't know what's out there in the field? Somebody's right. got to deal with that shit. And, and you know, even though I'm retired, I would jump up right now and give my life for a perfect stranger if I could protect them. I bet. It doesn't ever go away. I bet. If just because you take off the uniform or you're retired. It's not anything that I can wash away, wish away. It just is instinctual. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who you are. If I feel like I can help you, I will do, I will sacrifice me to help. Hundred, a hundred percent. And you know what? Fuck it, man. We've gone two hours at this point. So, um, National Guard. I went to um, Warrior. I forget what it. Is. It was Sergeant School. It was to get my E five badge. So you go to all these trainings, and then there was a time in schools where I believe it was a person in London. There was like this robocall for like school bombings, where you would just get a random call from a robot voice that was like, "There is a." bomb placed in your school and it was like some fucking like 13 year old in whatever istanbul who was getting off on all these schools getting shut down well what do you have to do with kids you have to evacuate the building you have to call in the state police proper procedure you don't take that shit lightly you're not putting anybody's life in danger my position i was a special education teacher and i dealt with students who were not 
learning disabled, but emotionally disabled. And I had several female girls who were seriously anxious. It fucked them up. And you got to walk them out of a building. They don't get their coat. We're not checking lockers. We're in a very orderly fashion. It breaks up your routine. And they're not autistic, but they're living on the edge of just what the fuck is normal, man. My life's out of control. (laughs) And when we got that call, and I think I'm out of the reserves 11 years at this point, my immediate reaction was, who are my most needy? Who do I need to protect? Get you on that bus. I'm going to grab your hand. I'm going to look you in the eyes. I'm going to get you comfortable. And I'm going to swear to you that you're going to be okay. And yep. like, like, I, like, what the fuck, man? Like, I know it's fine. But that, boom, in that moment, my gut just went there. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's the training. You don't know if you're like built for that. You don't know what that is. But if people like you, like maybe in a smaller instance like me, because I don't serve on a day like you did on the daily, but like that is something you can't, it doesn't get turned off. Like my military training, like I'm, I'm looking around being like, if someone fucking came, what am I doing? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it just clicks and you're like, I'm up. He sees me, I'm down. And you're thinking of this training you've gone through to assess threats and help people. And you're like, what the fuck is that? What am I, I'm a school teacher. What am I doing? But boom, I'm telling you, it's the truth. You just, you flash back. You really do. You're, you're so true. And I got even less training and daily than you did. My, my wife and I go to church. Well, when we could go to church, (laughs) um, and not too long before, right before COVID hit and all that stuff, she says, Hey, you were, you were a little distracted today. You know, what, what was going on? And I said to her, I said, so I want you to know something. If it, if anybody ever comes in the church and we're in trouble, I need you to evacuate. I need you to get down, crawl five pews, get out that door. There's an exit door, blah, blah, right. blah. And she goes, what the hell? I yeah. said, well, I was making a plan in case I, I was... I was, you know, making a plan in case something happened in church. And she's like, I mean, yeah, God, she's, you know, doesn't have to think like that, but, but it, I don't know, just that day I was just like, oh my goodness, I need to have a plan. If something happens, I need to know how I need, she needs to know. I need to tell her how to get out of here. Don't wait for me. Go, you know, (laughs) No, that, that's a crazy shit. Yeah, no, but it's something that's, I don't know if people can turn off once they turn it on where a lot of people can turn things off. I don't know if things like that, that logistical preparation, the mental reps of if shit goes bad, what do I do? Um, Right. It's very hard once you've been taught how to turn it on and assess. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm a fucking novice. It's like, not like I'm some Navy SEAL. I can't imagine what those dudes fucking deal with in their minds, you know? Right. But it's, or those people, I shouldn't say dudes. That's gender bias. I apologize. <laughs> but those, the, those individuals, like you can't, like it's once you see something, you can't unsee it. Right. I and, wish I could forget what my eyes have seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think to cope with what you've seen, I think you've done a great job advocating for people who have seen things that they maybe want to unsee 
to find right. that help. It's okay that you right. want to unsee it. It's okay that it make, makes you uncomfortable. It's okay that it takes you to a bad place. You don't have to stay there. Go get right. help. People do care. People have gone through what you've gone through. Yes. Almost embrace and find that tribe or culture because you don't need to stay alone. And I right. think that's there are tools. Super... There are tools. Pick up the 500 pound phone and call somebody. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Pick up the fight. Cause I bet you that bitch does feel like it. You feel like a total fucking punk and a loser. <laughs> I'm such a bitch. Why can't I man up and deal with this? And I'm just, a... yes. no, no dude, go fucking get help. It's okay. And that, and that rhetoric. Yeah. Will play and play and play. And then you just stay in that spot yep. and you don't get help. And I mean, you just, you don't think there's any way anybody's ever going to get it. Trust me. There are people out there that get it, that care and want to help. Please, if you're listening, pick up the phone so you do not end up like me. Or, I mean, eventually you picked up the phone so they could end up like you in a positive way. Okay. So you are a decent, positive example. Maybe so you don't end up going through all the shit you went through. But yes, hopefully yes. now you're talking through it. You're laughing about it. You're you're coping. You have yes. tools. Those are all very super important things. You're not past it, but you're dealing with it. Right. Which it's has a, it's, to be a relief. I have to be diligent in my recovery, right? and I cannot. I cannot let up and I, and I don't want to let up. No, That's why the thing. Would you, right? I don't want to let up. I, yeah. I, I like where I am. I like who I have become Yeah, and I like being human I'm being. Like that. It, it's a fight worth fighting. If you're going to yeah. fight for anything, man, fight for that shit, right? Get machismo yeah. about that shit. Yeah. And thank you know? God I have a beautiful wife who put up with my bullshit. No doubt. The support so, cannot be understated to the spouses or the partners or the people who support those who serve and deal with um, not even really being able to understand why their significant other is acting that way. Right. You know? Like, I mean, but they, they do deal with so much bullshit, like you said, to just yes. get them to a, the love they have to exert to get their loved ones to a decent place. Um, yes. Is wonderful. Yes. Such yes, good yes. messages. We ended, we started off goofy as hell. We got really, <laughs> really serious and we ended in a very positive way, Mel. I'm yes, so excited did. you got back on. Do I have your full permission to publish now and edit? Abs- absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate Dude. it. No, man. I so well, appreciate you giving your time. My wife is saying good night to me. Oh, Hi. Yeah. Oh, hey, nice good to night. meet you. And good night to you as well. What a great way to end. See, there it is. That's yep. a beautiful yep. way to end. All right, man. I'll um I'm sure we'll keep in touch. We'll see each other on social yeah. media or whatever if we never see each other in person. But it was great. I hope someday we do. Yeah, it'd be it'd be fucking freaky, right? Like we meet in Kansas on some like trucker stop or some bullshit. <laughs> Damn. You never know. I might come to Kansas. <laughs> Exactly. All right, man. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks for opening up. Thanks for giving your time and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. 
I will. You too. All Enjoy right. that cocktail you've been sipping too. Oh, dude, it's done. It's been spent. Oh. I, gotta go. I had to stop because I was like, I don't know how much longer it's going to go. And do I want to be the guy that pauses to uh, edit out a bathroom break? True. <laughs> I'll keep that in just for shits and giggles. And right, you know, a little, a little laughing is good Dude, after the heavy shit we talked about. No doubt. hundred percent. Right, so, and you can't, here's the thing with help. You can find your laughter. You need to, man. Like, I mean, that's really, that, that's something, uh, again, just when I go back to basic training and all, all these different military schools that I went to, it's terrible times. And how do you get through it? You fucking cut up with the people. Like you find joke, yeah. you find joy in the misery. And yeah. you just need to embrace the struggle. And yep. when you do that, you can laugh about it because it's yeah. empowering. It, it's yes. it's okay. But you do have to open up. You do have to talk about it. You do have to get through the feelings. You do have to cry a little bit. You do have to get angry. You do have to yell. Everything yeah. you've been saying about the mental health. But when you go through all that, then you feel like, wow. And you yeah. not joke about it, but get to enjoy maybe enjoy is the wrong word you you get no, to do what you, we did right like you get to fucking laugh about it and be like you can yeah. laugh for real and not yeah. for fake so it's a great point yeah 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 all right brother all right man thank you so right. much and i'll I talk to you later peace out bye thanks to melanie or Melanie, as I affectionately call her, though she's pretty much a complete stranger, <laughs> for being so open, so honest. And just, you could feel the passion um, and the importance of her just really emphasizing that those who serve, when you get to that dark place, you are not alone. Um, again, you are not alone. If you, in any way, are feeling like Melanie was, trust someone enough to get help. There are others out there feeling just like you feel. It will change and save your life. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merch that's going to be worth checking out. If you have not already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The word of the pod. The word of the pod. Support. Support is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it in yours, and you will get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. And finally, just a reminder, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that is dying to get to know more about your brand or business. Just message us. Roger Dodger, 10-4, over and out.